Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Each and every one of you that is listening right now is extremely lucky this is the season preview episode, and I don't have a half hour to waste or else the entire opening of this podcast would be dedicated to football. So I am holding it back because my love for all of you, but for those of you who follow football, you know what I mean. <laughs> I actually knew that would happen, what, like, what you said <laughs> would happen, because after I saw uh, the win, I was like, oh my God, if next episode wasn't this season preview... <laughs> Brad would absolutely trample me and Evan in order to talk about his beloved Buffalo Bills. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here for our annual, maybe. I don't know. I don't really think annual is a fair way to say it. But we literally been... didn't have one in 2020. Yeah. So for the first time since 2019, our Detroit <laughs> Red Wings season preview episode, it's four days away at the time of recording. Uh, still doesn't feel real, but this is our last episode before Red Wings hockey. So without further ado, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. My name is Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. <laughs> uh, I love when I know it's an episode where we're going to get a lot of new listeners, people tuning in for the first time. And even though we've been doing this for near on six years now, everyone just gets to experience the cycle of Evan. So in about <laughs> a month, we're going to get Who's the quiet guy? And a month after that, it's, they're going to start figuring out that you like golf. And another month after that, they're going to start asking you all the questions. And a month after that, they're going to be like, Evan's the only person I listen for now. <laughs> it's, it's just true. a circle. Well, today might be uh, be um, really bad for me because I'm running on like four hours of sleep. I decided that going cross-country skiing all day would be a good idea. Um what else could I have done to make this any worse for myself? Oh, I'm losing my voice too. So we'll see how long I last. I will I will gut this one out for the people. All your decisions have been uh, not good for radio, but we appreciate you sticking it out regardless. I'll try my best. I will say running on four hours of sleep and then choosing to go cross-country skiing right after is the most Evan decision I can think of. Well, it's more so my fault because I organized it. And then I remembered I had to work after all the plans had been solidified. <laughs> so I was like, well, I can't back out now. I was the one who planned it. Like, we got to make it happen. So you it bunch is what it of is. Meatballs. Uh, at the time of recording, so this is Sunday night right now on the 10th. Uh, the Red Wings are currently in the midst of a red versus white game, if I'm not mistaken, unless that has just finished. Um, Brad said, apparently Dylan McElrath just laid a big hit on Zadina, in which case... <laughs> cut him <laughs> <laughs> i i mean metaphorically or literally either is fine you do not screw with zadina i don't think when they send players to the minors it's metaphorically cutting them but i digress um okay on the docket today you know it's what i meant unfortunately brad i always do uh it's an all red wings episode we are going to be talking about uh the red wings for the upcoming 2020 2021 season uh every player line by line hot takes cold takes lukewarm takes evan takes brad takes um all the takes in between um and then we're of course going to be talking about more recent red wings news with uh the pickup of christian juice and the renewed rumors of the pierre luc dubois uh uh 
or Pierre-Luc Dubois being on the trade market and Detroit being interested. So um, lots to talk about before we head into overtime, uh, which I'm sure is going to be uh, pretty meaty itself. So Christian Juice uh, picked up off waivers, newest Red Wing. Yep. Um, a depth defenseman, which for most teams is eh, whatever, which for the Red Wings is more needed, but still for the most part, eh, whatever. But he's 26, yeah. so, you know, it's it's nice when our depth defensemen get younger. That's always a plus. Yeah, 26, he's making a million dollars this year, one more year, and then he's up as an RFA, I believe. So his next deal is still an RFA deal, unless I'm mistaken about that. Uh, and plays on the left side, or is at least at least shoots left. So He shoots left, yeah. Yeah. Um, the left side isn't, I don't want to say it's weak. I think it's about as strong as the right side, maybe. Like, DeKaiser Nemeth Stahl. Like, Stahl's not going to be much to write home about in all likelihood this season. So he provides depth there. He might slot in, in my mind, as the seventh defenseman in terms of uh, in place of Biega, or um, this could be a kind of a taxi squad situation. I'm not sure. Yeah, and it, it a lot depends on what they decide they want to do with John Merrill, if they're pretty committed to him on the right side or if they want to flip him back to the left. Because um, they're, they're not short on left shot D. The only problem is they only have two maybe three good left shot d and one of them's playing the right side so if juice comes in here and outplays mark Stahl for a spot or plays alex bega for a spot great i mean he's i think he's younger than i know he's way younger than mark Stahl, and i'm pretty sure he's younger than alex bega so if you're right and he is an rfa beyond this year thus under team control it's a worthwhile gamble again much like timishov last year he cost the red wings nothing he was a waiver wire pickup. So if he works out, great. If he doesn't, oh, well. He played a decent role in Washington's uh, 2018 Cup run. Like he was a regular in the lineup, those playoffs. So obviously he can contribute when it matters. And I mean, again, for most teams, this would be the most inconsequential move in the world. But there is a reality here where by midseason, he is the fourth or fifth def- best defenseman on the Red Wings if everything goes decently for him. Um, <laughs> sad thing is it doesn't even have to go like remarkably well for that to happen, but <laughs> that that could happen. So again, he's young enough that if this works, you might get five or six years out of him. Um, he does put up numbers in the AHL. He was uh, not quite a point per game in the AHL, but like not tremendously far off either. So like he's got the two-way in him. I don't know enough about him to say uh, exactly how good his defensive game is because, you know, when I'm watching the Caps on the cup run, I'm not intently watching their bottom pair defense um, to get a good scouting report on. But yeah, from all intents and purposes, it's a guy. He should be an upgrade on at least one or two of the existing players that are already slotted into the roster. And if he isn't, oh, well. Yeah, he's he's not a world mover, but. Like you said, and like Evan said pre-show, that means different things for the Red Wings than it does for a typical team. So it's all relative. <laughs> yeah, and it, you also have to consider if for I've seen a couple people ask like why this guy, and he is um he is RFA upon expiry of this contract, so his next contract will be another RFA deal, or at least uh, upon signing that. Um, I've seen people ask, you know, why sign another depth guy? If this isn't a guy that's going to play in the top four or you think could play in the top four, what's the point? And you have to remember, you know, COVID's still a thing. 
and injuries are still going to be a thing. And you look at who they brought in on the left side. Mark Stahl is uh, an older player, and his mileage is going to be um, a lot heavier coming into the season, so you have to anticipate he might miss some games. So in addition to everything Brad said, it's just a buffer on what's going to be a tough season. Um, Sheltering players down in Grand Rapids as well, instead of calling them up and you know, exposing them to both the NHL and <laughs> travel, which exposes you to different things. Um, it, it's almost like a, an administrative thing too. So, and that's not to, to discount him. I don't know a lot about him either. I, I've looked up some tape. I've looked up some reports. It, it seems like he's uh, over the past little while really kind of solidified the amount of shot impact he's allowed in his own zone. Not a ton to say for offense, but not nothing, I suppose. We're going to see, and it just depends on his ice time too. Um, waiver eligibility is – this is another question people ask. The people in the taxi squad, and just to reiterate again, the people in the taxi squad are still in effect considered AHL players. Like They would have to be called up and, and sent down through the regular waiver process relevant to that player. It's just that they travel with the team, so it becomes a lot easier. Yeah, because it's it, in a lot of ways, it's not fair to those guys. So if they're not getting a regular spot in an NHL lineup, they still want the chance to get a regular NHL spot. So if uh, obviously this isn't going to be super relevant for the bottom teams because generally their taxi squads are going to be weaker. But hey, it happens. But for a team like Tampa, if, if there's a good player who just can't crack Tampa's roster and they're going to kick him to the waiver wire well a team like detroit or ottawa could pick him up and then he gets a regular spot there so again it's for all the same principles um as to why there's waivers for the ahl they apply to this now i know there are some catch 22s here that i'm not fully confident in talking but like because i'm pretty sure there's a provision if you claim a player but nobody else put in a claim you get i think you get that like you can send him straight to the minors without going through waivers again. Um, obviously, we don't. I don't know if it was posted if another team put a waiver claim on Juice. Um, but yeah, th- there's a couple little caveats like that, but it, it's still very, very relevant. Which is why I expect the taxi squad to be either young waiver uh, ineligible players, like maybe a Rasmussen uh, gets into a handful of Red Wings games because they can juggle him in and out and not worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, or the AHL vets that like with all due respect to those guys don't matter like a Dylan McElrath or a Brian Lashoff because they're not concerned about their development at this point. So whether or not they're playing a ton of games or not, it doesn't matter. I know that sounds cold, but that's the business of the NHL and doubly so in a pandemic. Um, and and I, I expect that to be the case for the season. It'll be guys they want to get a look at in the NHL who don't have to go through waivers and guys who will go through waivers with zero chance of being claimed. So that's all the taxi squad's going to be. And you can say, oh, it, uh, why are you guys talking so much about a taxi squad? It doesn't matter that much. There's, what, four teams who have already had to cancel practices and games because of uh, COVID protocols. So, yeah, we like to think that this isn't going to affect <laughs> the Red Wings. It will. It's yep. This is going to affect every team in some way, shape, or form. Like, look at what happened in the NFL. Some teams, like the Browns, have gotten absolutely decimated multiple times by COVID. And other teams have had sporadic cases here and there where they had to quarantine, you know, two or three players, and that's it. But every team has been impacted. And the same thing's going to happen in the NHL, especially, well, 
I'm not going to say every team because numbers in Canada and the States are vastly different. So the the North division might get a little luckier, but hey, this is a Red Wings podcast and the Red Wings are playing in the States. So we're going by the state statistics. Yeah, the statistics dictate the Red Wings are going to have to deal with this at some point. And really, they already have been affected because uh, the Dallas Stars had, what was it, eight total? I think it was six players, two staff or something like that. And the Canucks um, have something going on too. Yep. Yeah. So um, the Dallas is very obviously in the central division with Detroit and Detroit plays them, I think, mid to mid or mid to late January. So that could already affect their schedule. There's about a week built into the end of the uh, NHL regular season schedule um, to kind of account for reschedules, but that's it. We're going to need more than a week. <laughs> yeah, you could need more than a week, right? So, Well, someone already projected the Dallas Stars. Now we're going to have to play 56 games in 110 days. Now, I'm no math major, but that is less than every other day. Yeah. If ever you need a season to have two good goalies, this is probably it because – imagine how gassed those goalies are going to be yeah like, we like we admittedly yeah. didn't love the jake allen deal in montreal when they had carrie price oh boy that looks like one of the better deals of the offseason now looking at what the schedule looks like yeah. detroit is montreal yeah and you want to like carrie all the new price lessons healthy. to know that i did like that trade or that's yeah that trade. <laughs> i'll let them know <laughs> i mean a team like detroit with jonathan bernie and thomas grace two not going to say elite but very capable starting goalies is going to go a long way this year the teams with goaltending depth right now are at a huge advantage because, you know, a, a team like Tampa Bay where Andre Vasilevsky would usually play 80% of the games. Yeah, well, <laughs> that ain't happening this year. That's the reality of it. Let's not forget what happened towards the end of last season when Tampa Bay had to play their backup and they lost to Detroit. <laughs> it also makes Bernie look like an intriguing potential trade piece if a team feels like they're one a and they don't have a 1b or somebody gets injured they might look to a team like detroit if bernie's having a decent season he's got three million on the cap and he's a ufa next season might be some value there yeah just does jonathan how much value extra value do the red wings get out of trading jonathan bernie this year (laughs) anything is better than nothing I'd That's love to be able hard hitting analysis, right? There. <laughs> I'd love to be able to predict the way that the deadline's going to go this year. My instinct is that absolutely nothing will move. Just because nope. if a team's not in it, I feel like they're not going to give up anything this year. Is it not the most Red Wings thing ever where the Red Wings go into a season with 10 pending UFAs and teams are going to be hesitant to trade because of quarantine and like the Canadian teams won't be able to trade with the American teams? Like, come on. We need the, we Luke, catch- the, we need the annual Luke Glendening to Toronto Maple Leafs <laughs> trade can, rumor. Can we catch one break in this rebuild? Like, legitimately, can we catch one <laughs> Someone's going to trade, a Canadian team's going to trade for a player from an American team, and they're going to have to wait uh, whatever the two weeks is, and they're like, oh, you actually missed 30 games in those 14 days. Sorry. The season's over. <laughs> we're, in no right, one, we're in the conference finals right now. No one's going to want to go to Dallas because they have like seven back-to-backs left because of all the games they missed due to COVID. Yeah, you're going to have players with full 82-game seasons worth of stats. I, I have uh, an update uh, on the Red Wings scrimmage. Uh, Philip Zadina just scored in overtime. That's it, folks. Stanley Cup champions. Let's go, man. We'll we'll, we'll get to Zadina in the preview. But first, uh, one last thing, which was uh, kind of a quick 
spark plug or a, a spark topic of discussion on in the Red Wing sphere. Um, <clears throat> Aaron Portsline said on uh, Sirius XM NHL Network with Steve Coolius, I believe his name is. Um, apparently, he said something like uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois obviously still wants to be traded. A lot of teams are showing is- interest. Steve Eisman and the Detroit Red Wings, namely, um, are really keen on trying to get him. That's not crazy surprising. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a young promising center who's already shown uh, a lot of production Um, it's really hard to find those and he's on the trade market that almost never happens what does Detroit need help for Dylan Larkin uh, in the top two center slots Um, because currently Dylan Larkin is the totality of this team's top end centers and Detroit desperately needs to fill that hole so if you're going to move big assets to try to get a big asset in return um the center position is the one you'd want it to be. So this makes a ton of sense that Detroit is targeting it. Whether this rumor is real or if it's someone trying to drive up a price or whatever, I, I genuinely believe that this that this is more than kicking tires from Detroit's end. It, it would be any GM worth his weight in that role would be doing this. So first things first, because we are notorious on this podcast for shooting down rumors of the Red Wings are interested in this player. We we look at it and go, that's stupid. They shouldn't be. And 99 out of 100 times, it turns out they weren't and they didn't trade for them. And the number one factor when we say that that's stupid and it shouldn't happen is the Red Wings are rebuilding and we look at that player's age. And generally that player, when these rumors come up, uh, are closer to 30 than they are 20. That is not the case with Pierre-Luc Dubois. He is only 22. So we're looking at this through the eyes of a rebuild and the eyes of what the Red Wings need. Yeah, Pierre-Luc Dubois makes a ton of sense for the Red Wings. But here's the problem. You have a big, skilled, 22-year-old centerman who averages about 0.7 points per game and is a great two-way center. That's going to be valuable. Real valuable so the question then becomes in a rebuild who are you comfortable giving up are you willing to give up zadina are you willing to give up valeno as part of a huge package are you willing to give up a moritz cider are you willing to give up an anthony mantha like because i i throw valeno in there valeno would be a part of a massive package to make that happen he's not anywhere near worth what dubois is just for Mm -hmm. reference legitimately if you want dubois you're Mantha one for one would be about as reasonable as it could get. Although I, I will argue Anthony Mantha is a better player. Um, and I wouldn't do that trade. I don't care that Dubois is a center. Anthony Mantha is a better player in my mind. Um, and some analytics tend to back me up on that one. How comfortable are you giving up more Sider? How comfortable are you giving up Philip Zadina? Cause you're not getting Dubois without giving up something of that caliber caliber. And, I've seen a ton of trade proposals going around Red Wings Twitter and half of them, I, I don't think they understand what Pierre-Luc Dubois is worth. They understand how good he is, but he's 22. Mm-hmm. He is not getting the return that a 27-year-old centerman with his skill set is getting. You have to assume that if you get Pierre-Luc Dubois, you're getting 10 years of him. Because guess what? Columbus is going to assume you're getting 10 years of him. And what's that worth to them? A ton. I've seen Red Wings fans propose an unprotected 2021 first round pick for him. I personally wouldn't, but it's not crazy. It is. There is no, like there's one top end centerman in this draft Two, maybe two, depending on your thoughts on Matt Beneers. There's a lot of good defensemen, which the Red Wings need, but 
I mean, are you willing to roll the dice in the Shade Right Lottery? Otherwise, there's no good prospects for a top-end center coming through. Do you mean 2022? What's that? Do you mean 2022? For Shade Right? No, 2021 unprotected first-rounder. Yeah, that's this year's draft. Yeah. That's not Shane Wright. No, I'm saying, or like, because if you give away this year's first round pick, oh. you, you better be confident that you're getting yeah, lucky yeah, in the yeah, 2022. Yeah, yeah. Because again, there's not a ton of centers in there, but let's say the Red Wings are sitting there at third overall, fourth overall. I'm just saying Kent Johnson could be a center. You get four extra years and an ELC out of him. And don't underestimate, if the, if you expect the Red Wings to be good in the next two to three years, Whoever they pick in the 21, 2021 draft, you're getting three years of an ELC out of that player in a window where that player will likely contribute and you're trying to win. So as good as Dubois is, I just need to interject that into that argument. But yeah, this is going to get interesting. But And the one final caveat that I haven't mentioned yet, a 22-year-old top-line center is on the market. Columbus is fielding calls from 30 teams right now. There is not a team in the league that is not interested. And if you can go, they don't have the cap space. Oh, they will try to make the cap space work for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Seattle's trying to find players so they can get in on the conversation too. Like Honestly. You you do not find this asset on the market. This is like Pierre-Luc Dubois is what people who take uh, trade deadline day off from work wish was on the trade deadline. Like this is this is a caliber. This is the the best that you could hope for for fans who love putting up uh, trade proposals. And just to give an idea, some things that have been drawn up, some trades that I've seen floated around, and these are overly simplistic. Trades almost never end up being this simple unless it's like a hashtag one for one deal. Um, Patrick Line for Pierre Luc Dubois, uh, Matthew makes Barzell a lot of sense makes a lot of sense. Barzell has been signed, but say Barzell for Pierre Luc Dubois. Um, Nylander and Nick Robertson from Toronto, um, Jake DeBrusque, Charlie Coyle, uh, Vakaninen, and a 2022 second. Like this is from First Ohio Battery. It's a it's a Blue Jacket site. Like these are a lot of that's those are some high end deals. Like that's a lot of assets being moved. So you can't skimp. I know you don't like the idea of a 2021 first bread, but in my mind. If you don't want to move anything better than Valeno, which I'm not keen on, I think Valeno would be the upper limit of who I'd want to move. 2021 first has to go. So here's so here's my counter to that, and I'm a, and I'm a fan of using your own logic against you. God, if you're not willing to move Philip Zadina, you shouldn't be willing to move that 2021 first because if we're picking in the top five, which is likely, that player should be as good or better than Philip Zadina. And they're younger, which means you're getting a couple extra years out of it. Again, no guarantee. I Let me preface all this thing with the 2021 draft pick. I understand there are no guarantees. But if you are an optimistic Red Wings fan and you think in two to three years this team could be good, do not underestimate the value of that entry-level contract. Okay, but... but- and also, you're so, getting four extra years out of that player versus Dubois, which is not nothing. I know it's not a ton, but it's not nothing. Okay, so I, you're right about the 2021 draft. Like that player is going to be extremely important, and it's good, especially in this in the, this cap era, to have a, a, a key player on your team be on an ELC. 
But with the funky setup in this year's uh, NHL season, and let's say Detroit overperforms or they've really kind of kind of come together and they're not absolute dead last, but maybe like, you know, 29th or 28th or something like that. And then they get bumped down even further in the lottery because, you know, they're Detroit and that's just tradition. Let's say they're drafting like seventh. Is Kent Johnson there? What if he's not? What if Aturatu is not there? Like, Aturatu at this point might not go in the first round. <laughs> like, what if they're looking at like a Zachary Larue or actually, you know what? Like, so there's no Alexi Lafreniere, but there's a lot of good talent there. But are are would you be sure that let's say uh, Dylan Gunther would be better than Philip Zadina? I I don't know. I I legitimately don't know this. This draft is wide open. We haven't seen a lot. And the unpredictability of this draft makes me want to keep the pick even further. Let's say things go really well this season for the Red Wings and they're good and they're picking 10th. Scouting is such a crapshoot this year. A guy who would go third overall any other year and he's an OHL player might fall out of the top 10 because nobody's seen him play in a year. Like Brant Clark just started playing like a few weeks ago in some, I think like a tier two Czech league or something like that. Slovakia, HC, Nove Zemke. Yeah. yeah. He might go first overall in this draft or he might go 20th. Like We could get a, we could get our own Cole Perfetti or a Yaroslav Askarov or Askarov. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, again, just projecting the draft, it doesn't really matter in this. It's about value, man. I, I love Dubois. I think he's, uh, checks a lot of the boxes about what the Red Wings need. I do tend to find his value is a little overinflated, but I mean, he is 22 and he is a good two-way center. To me, what does Pierre-Luc Dubois bring to a team? To me, it's just a little less than what Dylan Larkin brings to a team, which is a lot. Um, But yeah, so I don't know, but to me, I can't risk it because what if the Red Wings are bad? They win the first overall pick and I'm going to pick a name out of a hat here. What if Owen Power turns into the next Victor Hedman and... I don't care how good Dubois is. He doesn't live up to that. And like, so again, I get the logic. It's this. And here's, here's the unfortunate reality that I've come to thinking about this uh, over the last 48 hours since that news broke. I hate this trade just because I love the player. But if we're, if we're talking about this from a value standpoint for Columbus, a value standpoint for Detroit, pragmatically, what is the best trade Detroit could make for Pierre-Luc Dubois? It's Anthony Mantha straight up. Yeah. 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 I think Anthony Mantha is a better player than Dubois. And I, I'm hesitant to trade him because he fits really well on this team. He fills a need. He's, you know, he's part of the core, but he's four years older than Dubois and he plays in the wing. So even though, in my opinion, he's, he's a better player, you could make the argument those other two points even that out. Now, I'm also of the mindset you don't make a trade like that just for making the sake of a trade like that. I'd rather roll the dice in the draft or hope Valeno overperforms or like you have a known commodity in Mantha. You don't know what happens to Dubois when he gets out of Tortorella's system. He might not be that good. He is playing for one of, well, not that he might not be that good. He might not be this good because he is playing for one of the best coaches in the league, right? So yeah, I can understand that trade. I wouldn't be flipping tables if I made it, but but to me, it just doesn't make the most sense in the world. But if the wings are hell-bent on trading for Dubois, that would be the, the deal that makes sense to me. What would you... Let, let's do a little bit more of a piecework deal, and I will 
put this out there. I'm not good at these. Um, I, I tend to get out of hand real fast. What about a tw- this year's first and Bergren or this year's first and Chalosky? Like, what are we looking at here? Like 2021 first round pick. Mm-hmm. I'm not adding anything. Even if I'm rel- I wouldn't do it straight up one for one. But if that's what we're talking, you're possibly giving up a top five pick. I'm not adding anything to that. <laughs> not a goddamn thing. The center position just had so much value. Sorry, Evan, I cut you off there. Oh, I, di- I didn't really have a, a point to your um, hypothetical trades. Uh, my solution was we don't do this. <laughs> the Red Wings don't do this. They go into this draft. They draft who they need. Next year, they draft who they need. And then they sign Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Gabriel Landeskog, who are all the UFAs. I would... Or- you, you know, or if we wait another year and we offer sheet um, Braden Point, <laughs> yeah, no. So Evan does bring up a good point, though. Nugent Hopkins and Landis Gog are good players. Um, they're going to get overpaid in free agency. We know how free agency works, but they're young enough that even you can't really overcommit to them on term by all that much. Um, so what would you rather do? Overpay Gabriel Landeskog, who, by the way, is one of my favorite players in the league outside of Detroit. Overpay him by $2 million a year, but you keep your 21 first, you keep Philip Zadina, you keep all your assets, and now you're just adding an extra $2 million to your cap hit. Or do you lose those assets and get Pierre-Luc Dubois, admittedly, at a bit of a better cap hit? But keep in mind, his current contract only exists for two years, so if he does come as advertised... That two years after that, the value's gone. You're paying out the ass for him. The way the NHL is set up right now, acquiring players via offer sheet, acquiring players via UFA, or acquiring players via trade is just so prohibitively expensive. Yep. And you're almost never in a position to do it unless you're a team that has been bad for a long time and then has transitioned into a period of dominance without ever spending the farm on something and so you have a competitive team and a truckload of assets look how long tampa bay had to be bad before they were this good and then you can start take your shot taking your shots at the trade deadline to really push you over the edge or, or get you over the hump like eisenman was doing that in his last couple of years in tampa bay and then we saw that continue with um uh Breezebois, julian Breezebois. Uh a lot of teams don't end up in that competitive zone with that kind of stock to move around. And sometimes they do and they mortgage futures in a big, heavy way. Um, I, this leads to a bigger discussion where I think players should be UFAs sooner. Um, offer sheets shouldn't be so prohibitive, blah, blah, blah. And I'll name more things that'll be unpopular for both the NHL and the PA. <laughs> but so again, I, I, I feel like this episode, I'm like countering everything I've been preaching for the last five years on this podcast, but I'll make one final point on this specifically in regards to the UFAs. Very rarely is it a good idea to go overpay someone in unrestricted free agency. It works out sometimes, but more often than not, it doesn't. But a good time to overpay for a direct position of need in unrestricted free agency is when you're on a team just coming out of a rebuild and you're walking into a mountain of talented entry-level contracts. Or we can wait another season and offer sheet Pierre-Luc Dubois. (laughs) (laughs) Evan's Doctor Strange going through the 14 million possibilities right now. Yeah, Um, I think, you know, timing's everything. And I don't, you know, just there's going to be tons of good players 
or elite level players who come up in the on the trade block like just because one comes up right now and would fill a position in need doesn't mean Detroit should pull the trigger like they're still ways away no spoiler for the season preview but it to me the time's not right but if the price is right then obviously you do it but just looking at it at a, at a holistic level it, it I don't think it's the, the right move for the Red Wings right now if they did it that'd be the kind of screw you this rebuild has already been however many years too long let's shave a year or two off it move that i would appreciate as a fan and someone who loves watching steve eisman work um but yeah pragmatically i think you're both probably very right here the the cost might be a little bit too much if detroit can land a, a good value deal and, and eisman can somehow uh get yarmo kekalainen to do anything other than look steely-eyed on a zoom call um that would be incredible but if we're competing with, you know, Patrick Line A plus on these deals, then yeah. Yeah, the Red Wings team, there's just too many question marks still and too much uncertainty about, you know, where what are we gonna what are our prospects look like, what's coming out of the next dra- couple of drafts, like it's it's a little dangerous to start playing with uh, house money. I will say this as a last point before moving into the season preview. The Red Wings current future at center in my subjective opinion looks like this for the top six dylan larkin and then hoping we get the very top end of uh probable outcomes for for joe valeno i love joe valeno i think he's been great i think if people give him some time and patience he does well wherever he goes um his progress isn't necessarily speedy but not everyone's will be and and we knew that when we drafted him or when the red wings drafted him but currently, right now, I have confidence in Dylan Larkin. And this beyond that, Theodore I have some com- <laughs> This Theodore Niederbach disrespect will not be tolerated. I'm just kidding. He's a long shot, I know. Well, it's not even that he's a long shot. There's just, it, in terms of uncertainty, Premature. yeah, he, he very well could turn out, but like... He is he's a more of an unknown quantity right now. And he like he's an important draft pick in my mind because Michael Rasmussen, like, it's just training camp. Don't get too concerned, but he hasn't been kicking down doors in this training camp. Uh Joe. Oh well there, there's me. Um (laughs) (laughs) But like it's Dylan Larkin in the top six. Joe Valeno looks like he has a decent shot. And then beyond that. There's not a ton. And if if we've noticed anything from cup winning teams, they typically have really strong top end centers and center depth the whole way through. So if it's not Pierre-Luc Dubois, perfectly fine. I think it needs to be something else, whether it's through trade, whether it's through most likely the draft, whatever it is, the center, the, the, the centermen in Detroit's lineup need to improve, especially at the top. And that might be a good segue into starting into the season preview. Yeah. All right. No I keep going on this topic for a while, so let's get into the season preview. <laughs> All right. So uh, at the current time of recording, uh, the Red Wings haven't made their final cuts or anything from the roster, haven't sent players down to you know play in the AHL or, or go back uh, wherever they might play. Um, so when you're listening to this, the, some of these moves might have been decided. So a lot of this comes with a big old uh, Evans jawline-sized grain of salt here. Uh but for now, the Detroit Red Wings 2020-2021 season preview. Uh, Evan, who are we starting with, forwards or defense? Ooh, let's start with the defense. Let's let's warm up. 
I actually for, let's start with the goaltending. Let's I knew he was going to say that as soon as you <laughs> gave him two options, he was going to find the third. Yeah, for new listeners, that's Evan's thing. He's uh, he's an anarchist a little bit. Any yeah. surprises on the back end? Uh, yeah, our roles on the show is I try to give guidelines and rules. Evan sticks me the finger, and Brad's driving in a clown car on fire past us. <laughs> uh, goaltending, probably the brightest spot for the Red Wings in terms of what we can expect. Um, let's start with Jonathan Bernier, who is, you know, the de facto starter. Uh, so, I'm already wrong. According no, to I, I do want to ask you a question because I've, I've seen, um, more so from the national media. I haven't really seen anything come out from Red Wings beat writers or the Red Wings themselves. But when you go by what the national media is saying, and when you look at national previews, they have Grice penciled in as the starter. Do we think Grice is the starter in this? Now, we understand that this is likely going to be very close to a 50-50 split. But if they have any important games, who's the guy that the Red Wings should be leaning on right now? There's literally no way to know that. I think there's less than a five. I think there's less than a a six-game variance between in games played between the two. Okay, let's make this simple. Who's starting Thursday? Bernier. I will say Bernier as well. I will agree. It should be Bernier. Uh, the The commodity that we know, as I mentioned earlier, and what we know is from November 1st on last year, he was a top 10 goalie in the league. So, I mean, I love Grice. He was also, for a good chunk of that season in the game he played, statistically a top 10 goalie. Um, and mind you, playing behind a much better system in the Islanders, but Bernier knows what he's going to expect behind this team. Uh, he showed it. He played well. Yeah, in my mind, even though this is going to be a platoon, this is Bernier's crease. So if he gets on a heater, he can ride it. Now, the same thing goes the other way. If Grice gets on a heater, let him ride it. I understand. But game one starter, it should be Bernier. It, I'll go so far as to say it better be Bernier. I don't care that much. Honestly, it's going to flip both Goalies are going to have hot streaks. Both goalies are going to have cold streaks. Both goalies are going to get absolutely shelled when they realistically <laughs> on any other team might have pulled out a win and, and both goalies will steal wins. Um, we've seen from Jonathan Bernie what he can do on this team last year, which is why I have a little bit more confidence in him to start out. It's hard to play goalie for the Red Wings. It's been hard to play goalie for the Red Wings since, you know, Nick Litstrom retired. And that isn't even a funny joke. That's actually a harsh truth. Um, Nick Cronwall wasn't the last vestige of a strong Red Wings blue line. I think that genuinely died when they lost Rafalski and Lidstrom. Um, the red, Jimmy Howard, people will remember him as a goalie who played terrible last year and maybe wasn't up to scuff, but that's couldn't be further from the truth. The guy did so much legwork for the Red Wings, dragging absolutely decrepit blue lines um, into the playoffs or into contention in games where they wouldn't have had any business doing so. Whoever plays goalie for the Red Wings is going to be expected to do that. Bernie has been tuned up. He knows what that is. He really turned it on last year, which is why I think he'll be able to do it. And that's not to say Grice couldn't. I expect Grice to be able to do the same. He really held the fort with the Islanders. He's done well um, in a good defensive system, but I think he's just a sound goalie who can be sufficient. That's all Red Wings, the Red Wings really need in that is sufficiency. Yeah, because I know the benchmark for 
NHL goalies to be considered above average is usually around a 915 save percentage. Now that's league average, assuming you're playing behind a league average defense. The Red Wings defense has improved dramatically over last season. It's still a bottom five defense at best. I think if both goalies finish somewhere between a 905 and a 910, that's a resounding success for both of them. That's just the reality because they're going to get way more high danger scoring chances than a normal goalie will. They're going to get a higher volume of shots than a normal goalie will. They're not going to have big leads where they don't have to really worry about it. Every game they're going to be in, they're either A, losing or it'll be close. So yeah, I think that always needs to be in the back of our minds when we're analyzing because last season, Bernier finished like his total season safe percentage was a 907, right? And I was banging the table at the end of the year. He should get Vesna votes. Not saying he was one of the three best, but a few writers throw him in at number five on the ballot just so People know what he did. And obviously it was it didn't happen. It wasn't a thought. He had a 907 save percentage, but I think it sells what Bernier did last year short. He was nothing short of I'll say the Red Wings MVP last year. So if they if he can repeat that and if Grice can do that again this year, to me that's the benchmark. The defense got slightly better, so maintain that number. If Grice hits that number, if Bernier maintains it, huge success for both of them. In terms of technically what we're looking for these goalies, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Brad. A 905 up in my mind means you've done your job, which on this Red Wings team means saving the shots you're supposed to save, doing your best in the high danger chances, knowing that you're probably going to let in three goals more often than you would have wanted to. Don't give up juicy rebounds when you don't have to. Um, really could just kind of do the basics to allow this Red Wings blue line to both acclimate and for the young guys develop. Um, I say young guys that went in and brought out, they went and brought in Mark Stahl, but you know what I mean. Um, and we'll get into the defense. This isn't going to be the same defense as last year. Hopefully by no rights should it be, but we just need these goalies to, if they don't perform at the level Bernie did last year, I'm not upset. I, I think what Bernie did last year was almost heroic. Like, and if it's an aberration, I would not be surprised. But if he can play to like 85, 90% of that level combined with Grice, that mind's good. And the Red Wings are in a better position because they now have two goalies who might be able to do that. Howard it, Howard was never going to have a good year last year. He just wasn't in that position. The guy who's at the end of his career just completely beat up um, from years of being destroyed by the Red Wings defense. Um, but they might have two Berniers this year, so to speak. Yeah, and that honestly might be enough for them to not be the worst team in the league, to not be the worst team in the division. I know in our last episode when we were doing our predictions, I had the Red Wings finishing ahead of the Hawks. And as I explained, the main reason for that was I like Grice and Bernier a hell of a lot more than I like Malcolm Subban and whoever the hell is playing behind him or in front of him. Who knows? It's it's. In a, in a season where teams are literally playing every other day and a ton of back-to-backs, it matters. And it matters a lot. So, hey, this is probably the one position group where our preview is going to be almost entirely optimistic. So, Evan, thank you for making us lead off with it. And now the pain and misery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your thoughts, Evan, on the goalies before we move into the next position. The pain and misery, Ryan. Oh, what else is there to say? <laughs> 
Um, check the bingo card. Check the bingo card. Um, no, that's totally right. Like Bernie probably, I would say was the MVP of the Red Wings last year. Like a 906 or a 907 on that team is like a 930 anywhere else for minimum. Um, and Grice has been a career decent goalie uh, as a, as a number two. So yeah, I, I like it. It's a spot of optimism on this team and an otherwise dark and painful, uh, roster so yeah it's the only optimism i have i think grice gets a lot of attention from the national media because he was coming from a much more visible team the islanders have been competitive for a little while now put up a 913 last year a 927 the year before um lots of years of 913 920 plus that kind of thing 915 so he's going to be more visible um one of the great tragedies of last season was people not recognizing, as as Brad mentioned, with um, Bernier and, and our hope that he would get a Vesna vote. But a lot of people didn't recognize his talent. Um, we were very seriously and unironically calling for teams who needed goalie help to try to trade for Jonathan Bernier because it would make a lot of sense. Granted, goalies are voodoo. You know, tattoo that somewhere on your body and help yourself out. Um, and especially at the trade deadline, you put a goalie in a new system and everything, you can get a completely different person. There's also but- some goalies who are just like unreal when they get a huge volume of shots and then they go to another team that has more than one defenseman yeah and then they're giving up they're only getting 20 to 30 shots a game and they're low risk and it just totally throws off all their mental juju that they've had getting shelled yeah they're they're freaks man goalies are weirdos like you need to fire a rubber disc at them at 100 miles an hour 30 times for them to just get warmed up. <laughs> and for the Red Wings, that's a that's per period. Yeah. Oh, there was wasn't there a period last year where there was like 25 shots against or something stupid like that. Yeah, one. He's <laughs> <laughs> way more specific. Um yeah, the goalies are the simple one, so maybe let's get into the more complicated stuff. All right, Evan. Defense, are we going to move up on this? Yeah, let's do defense. Okay. Defense. I want to start off. Let, let, let's say this top pairing is going to be as we expect. It's DeKaiser on the left, Hronik on the right. Danny DeKaiser went from hero to zero to kind of tragic hero again over the course of his career. Um, this is a guy where he came in and he was the his broken finger was the difference between Detroit um, beating or not beating, as they eventually didn't, uh, the 2013 eventual Stanley Cup champion, Chicago Blackhawks. Um, the guy came in and did really well and made a difference. And it just seemed like ever since he signed his contract, which was it's five million, five and a half million, whatever it is, um, has really fallen off. Except in the last couple of years, in the limited games he's played, he's really kind of found his form again. The thing that always got me with Danny DeKaiser is, this guy, for some reason, was always so sound fundamentally and would do some extra. And then his fundamentals just went away. And over the past two, two, uh, two and a half seasons, which isn't very many games, um, he's been regaining that. And you've seen that difference, and especially playing with Philip Ronick. If Danny DeKaiser stays healthy this year, this is the biggest difference that the Red Wings blue line could have made. So I was ready to say um, for the last few days that uh, the Red Wings defense this season largely hinges on DeKaiser staying healthy. Not that he himself is a game breaker, but because they didn't have the depth. I mean, Christian Juice helps that now. But uh, now I'm not noted former defenseman Ryan Hanna, but 
What I find with the Kaiser is like Ryan mentioned, he has really good fundamentals and a good head for the game. He's not a particularly great skater, but he's not a horrible skater. He's not a particularly great passer, but he's not a horrible puck mover. Not doesn't have a particularly great shot, but he generally is able to find the seams and get it through. So he's kind of good enough at everything with with a good head on his shoulders to know when to make what play. As the Red Wings got worse, what I found was DeKaiser tried doing too much. He tried compensating for whatever slappy he had to play with that given night. And given that his skill set doesn't allow him to run around and do extra things because he, he just doesn't have the speed or the talent to make up for whatever uh, problems he's causing by abandoning his post or abandoning whatever he's supposed to do. It got him into problems and that's where we saw his game slip off. So when he, he got back to just playing his game and letting whatever the hell happened on the other side happen, it, it improved him. And then when Heronic stepped up and became the defenseman that he is, I think that was the biggest help to DeKaiser's career. Not that DeKaiser needs Heronic necessarily to be a good defenseman. He just needs someone competent there to be a good defenseman. And Heronic is that. So hence why they, play so well together and obviously given that DeKaiser has very limited offense in his game and Hronik is the guy to jump up in the play and make those plays they play very well off each other because of that so I do like that aspect so again I don't think Danny DeKaiser is anything special I think he's he's a decent he's got a decent skill set and a good head on his shoulders which I mean, on a good team, makes him a really good middle pair, serviceable middle pair defenseman. And on the Red Wings, it makes him uh, their number one defensive option. So <laughs> that's that's the world we live in. Whether he plays five games this year or 60 games this year is probably going to go a long way to determining how the Red Wings season goes. I'm aware how depressing that statement is when we're talking about Danny Kaiser having a profound effect on the Red Wings uh, season, but... Hey, uh, it, it literally could be that. And I mean, Heronic de Kaiser would be an above average second pairing in the NHL, but unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of having a first pairing. So we got to deal with it. Yes, Danny de Kaiser is the marvel of biology meets engineering. He's like the Robocop of defense. He's been injured so many times and put back together. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure I track here. I don't really understand. Um, really, for for him, I think it comes down to load management. He can he has to play very limited minutes at the start and has to be impactful, air quotes impactful, um, to really make it his season worthwhile. Um, and then just kind of go with the flow, see how his body reacts. Um, I'm sure he's lost a step since, you know, he hasn't played in however many years it's been. COVID feels like it's been forever. So, you know, I have some pessimism to see where he can, he'll, if, how long he can play in the top line, but that's what coaching's for. Uh, Danny to structure his minutes. Danny DeKaiser needs to have his load managed. Uh, he's playing on the first pairing with Philip Ronick, so good luck with that one. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the coach. <laughs> yeah. Because that will be tough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that leads us to the next point here, which is that uh, the, the flip side of this is Philip Ronick on his right side. Um, right now, 
Moritz Sider isn't on the lineup yet, which means Phil Peronik's the most important defenseman on the Detroit Red Wings. Um, the Red Wings blue line through and through was abysmal last year, but he has been probably the best defenseman Detroit has. Probably? On paper and on ice play. Um, obviously, he's made really good leaps and bounds in terms of production and just figuring the game out over the past couple seasons. Um, 31 points last year, 9 goals, 22 assists in 65 games. Um, you would want to see Philip Ronick continue that and then try to with the support of Danny DeKaiser and a more adequate defensive core round out his defensive game as well um Detroit's future at the blue line obviously Moritz Sider is the the poster boy for that but a lot of the future largely hinges on whether Philip Rona can maintain his status as a potential top pairing or at least top three defenseman on this team yeah, so I, I think the first thing with Philip Hronik is Red Wings fans definitely need to temper expectations. Um, I, obviously, he was our number one defenseman playing an absolute ton of minutes and playing in every situation last year. And it's great he could handle that, but in a perfect world, he's not doing that. But he is by far the best defenseman on the Red Wings. He has his defensive deficiencies. He's he's good offensively, but he's far from elite offensively. He's a good puck mover, and he's got a lot of aggression to his game. I like him. He he absolutely has the potential to be a top-pairing defenseman because let's not forget, he's young. He's still improving. So what we saw last year from Philip Peronik, I should hope to see a better version of that this year. Um, he's got to kind of calm his game down at times. He does try to do too much, and it gets him into trouble. He has been caught over committing in the defensive zone a bunch um, and he's been caught over committing in the offensive zone a bunch I actually encourage that though especially when DeKaiser's healthy because hey the Red Wings struggle to score goals and there isn't really a good offensive defenseman on the team behind him so if we're going to activate the D yeah that's going to be mostly on him and uh, when Blashill's playing his aggressive style it does mean activating the D so I mean that's going to be on Heronix plate whether he whether it should be or not. Um, but yeah, so I, again, I expect a bit more growth from Hronik this year. I just, I am just hoping to see exactly what we saw last year, just with a bit more consistency. His, uh, I don't want every defenseman. I Like I fight my urge as a, uh, you know, hashtag former defenseman. I try to fight the urge to make every single defenseman a good solid defender. I know that's not the any, the way the NHL works, especially the modern NHL. There is a place in the game for offensive defensemen who don't necessarily have uh, the responsibilities or the defensive acuity that we saw with Nicholas Lidstrom. Really growing up, watching Nicholas Lidstrom spoiled me and I've never recovered. Um, Eric Carlson is considered one of the best defensemen of his generation and I've seen him get walked by several current Red Wings. <laughs> like, it's just, that's the way the game goes. So I don't need Hronik to be an absolute stalwart defensively. I just want him to continue to form and develop those fundamentals. And, and yeah, it's, this season will be a good opportunity. I don't expect a minus 38 from him this year. Plus minus is a garbage stat, but in general, like, he, he might not have it. He might not have that much of a say in that. <laughs> well, the reduced amount of games will actually help that out a lot. Fair. Um, okay, let's say the second pairing is projected as Nemeth uh, and Merrill. Stetcher. It'll be. It should be Stetcher. Nemeth Stetcher. Okay. Yeah. We'll do. Let's we'll, start with. Even if it's not, we'll just use a right-handed shooting defenseman for <laughs> simplicity's sake. Let's go. Stet let's talk about Stetcher here. Uh, Troy Stetcher was someone who Detroit acquired from uh vancouver 
Uh, we acquired him from free agency, technically. Yeah, free agency. Yeah, he was previously with Vancouver, who didn't sign him. Uh, his what's his contract like? One point seven million or something over two years. Yeah, yeah. So, in my mind, twenty six year old right handed defenseman uh, Troy Stetcher is known for um, really, really good, solid defending. Like, really is great at just the defensive aspect of the game um is a low cost high impact defensive player i say high impact defensive because i i genuinely value that especially for this current red wings blue line there will not be much to say about offense i don't think he's completely you know deficient in offense but the the reason they brought in troy stetcher was to just solidify the blue line um i think his career high in points is like 20 24 that's what it is and that's what the Red Wings need. You know, we talk about the, the garbage set, which is a, to paint an overall picture, a minus 38 or whatever it might be for any random Red Wings defenseman. There wasn't, there weren't people who could do it. Like Trevor Daly, Jonathan Erickson, those players are not going to defend effectively. Troy Stetcher is a young defenseman who's cheap, who shoots right, so plays on the right side, and can just play good shutdown defense. That, in my mind, is extremely valuable. If he chips in a few points here and there, great. Um He's that solid filler. He's the mortar between the bricks. This is what the team needs to hold over until the future of the blue line comes through. I think you're selling them short on two fronts here. Um, again, not noted former defenseman Ryan Hanna, but I'll try. Um, his counting stats aren't there. He's about a career 0.25 points per game defenseman, which isn't a ton, but it's not nothing. That's an improvement from 90% of the Wings blue line over the last few years. Um but because the counting stats aren't there, I don't, I, I still consider him a two way defenseman. He's a great skater and a great puck mover. He's not crazy aggressive in the offensive zone and his point shot leaves a little to be desired. So, hence why you won't always see him scoring, uh, ending up on the stat sheet that often because not many goals are scored off the rush. A lot of them are scored off broken plays and offensive zone cycles. And Stetcher isn't involved in a ton of those but you don't get those chances if you don't get the puck to the offensive zone and he is really good at that he is a great on the breakout he is great on the transition he he can do it with his feet and he can do it with his passing and his vision so even though he is a very good defender and that is absolutely the strength of his game he is i I still consider him a strong two-way um defenseman and he's only 26 right now i think he's going to turn 27 sometime during the season if this works out, he could be more than a stopgap. This could be a, a five, six, seven-year player for the Red Wings if all goes well. And given that his next contract is going to come up when he's 28, 29, I don't think that's going to cost the Red Wings a ton of money. So if this experiment goes well, they might have a long-term solution on the right side here, which will be nice. Uh, worst case scenario, it buys the three, four years needed before NT2 Amisto is like, likely ready, if he's ever ready at all. Um, and he can be the third guy behind uh, Heronic and Cider. I, I I thought Stetcher was probably Iserman's best move of the offseason. Honestly, I, I thought it was a better move than Grice, despite how important the goaltending position is. I liked it more than the Nemesnikov deal. I liked it more than the Bobby Ryan deal, just because I, I think there's something here. I think there could be a more than just a two-year relationship between the Red Wings and Stetcher, especially considering he fills a direct need for this team. He would have been tied for second in points by defenseman on the Red Wings last year. 
And he would, yeah, he would have been second in goals, but not tied behind <laughs> our, our former savior, Madison Bowie. Oh. Um, yeah, so, imagine Madison Bowie, but with defense. Yes, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. It, it's like Madison Bowie, but he can play some defense. So to me, this is an improvement on the back end. Mind you, it's we're not, you know, it's not a leaps and bounds, but it's something and it's cheap and he wants to be there. So all of those things are positives. Um, is he going to win the Norris? Absolutely not. But all those things I mentioned, I, I, I like the signing and I think it's a good ad. It, it's pushing this team and this rebuild in the correct direction. And that's what I like to see. And it's worth noting, and I'm glad I've mentioned this. Whenever we're talking about any free agent that the Red Wings signed, all of these free agents they signed were valuable. And there is no reality where the Red Wings were the only team chasing them. They were all in demand from numbers teams. They picked Detroit. And when you look at their contracts, it clearly wasn't that much of a financial decision because they didn't get much. So when we talk about Stechner and Nemesnikov and Merrill coming here, he, Evan's right. They want to be here. So we're going to talk about them in the context of this season. But understand that if, if these work out, these might not be guys you flip at the deadline this year and next year. These might be guys the Red Wings look seriously at extending. And for me, Stetcher is the very top of that list. Yeah. And I appreciate you kind of selling Stetcher's uh, offensive game a little bit more. I wouldn't want to sell him short on that. I just... You know me. I like to focus on recovering from the tragedy, which has been no one being able to play defense. So (laughs) that's the most exciting for me, having a guy who can shoot right and play defense. But yeah, I think if he ends up being Madison Bowie, who can actually play defense well, that is a guy who I want beyond just the next two years. Um, All you have to do is look at Vancouver fans to know how effective this guy was and and how efficient he was. Uh, They were pissed when they lost him. When he signed with Detroit for that contract, Vancouver Twitter was ablaze. Yeah. So if you wanted to know if a signing's good or not, go look at their previous team and see how they feel about it. That was that was my signed, sealed, and cemented. That was a great signing. Now, John Merrill, another signing, is probably a little bit more fitting of the uh, accidental description I might have assigned to Stetcher, which is this is a guy who comes in to play defense and only defense. Um Absolute. Who are we talking about? I missed the uh, John Merrill. Ah, uh, yes. Who yeah. could be the the second pairing guy opposite Stetcher? My money is on Nemeth, but it could be Merrill. Yeah, let's just say Merrill to continue the the conversation of UFAs that Detroit brought in. Okay, so if we're talking, if I said Stetcher was my favorite signing that the Red Wings made, John Merrill's the one that we haven't talked about enough. His underlying defensive metrics are really, really good. There is almost no offense to speak about in John Merrill's game. If you're expecting 10 points out of this guy, good luck. But when the he would have been fourth in Red Wings defensive goal scoring. That's not saying much, Evan. I'm not two with okay, two. <laughs> hold, I, I was gonna say my follow up was I'm not sure four more than four Red Wings defensemen actually scored goals last we year. Went That's not nine facetious. Nine three three one. Oh no, Dennis Cholsky had two. He'd be there tied. Go. There you go, tied oh. for fourth. Anyways, 
But when when the puck gets past Detroit's red line, John Merrill checks every box that you would want in a defenseman. He is an underrated skater for his size. Positionally excellent. Physical game elite. And when I say physical, I mean he does not that he blows guys up every shift and Cronwell's them at every chance he get. He knows how to use his body to control positioning, to win board battles. And yeah, every once in a while, he's going to put a dude on his ass. And that's that's fun. And I'm here for it. But the Red Wings, for all their lack of goal scoring, we know what the biggest problem was last year. And it was their own zone. Troy Stetcher, big upgrade. John Merrill, bigger upgrade in that department. So, I mean, I I everything... Detroit liked about Patrick Nemeth last year, how reliable he was in his own defensive zone. I think John Merrill's better. So for whatever that's worth to you, take like use it, get hyped about it, whatever you want to call it. But I, I legitimately think John Merrill and Patrick Nemeth could be the same player, except Merrill's cheaper and possibly better. And also played for the University of Michigan, which helps. <laughs> yeah. Having and we'll we'll do Nemeth next, and I know we didn't do this in terms of pairings, but that's yeah, you know, sidetracked. But no, I I agree. Like this guy, I was very excited when they brought him in because he represents so much of what the Red Wings are missing. Do we wish we had a guy who could do what Merrill or Nemeth could with you know an astounding amount of offense? Yes, of course, but that's not really easy to get for free. From the free agency market. So if you have a team with some pieces like uh, uh, Ronick, who's the current star of the blue line, and Chalosky, if he makes his team, will be developing, um, you need, again, the solid foundation in between. The filler guys cannot be deficient. And Brad hit the nail on the head. John Merrill does things defensively so extremely well. If you like Patrick Nemeth and what he brought to solidifying this blue line last year, John Merrill, I think, can do that and more. There's nothing really else in my mind to say about that. Speaking of which, Patrick Nemeth, last year um, for Detroit, not a ton to say in terms of offense. That was to be expected. I think he finished with like, six or seven points no nine points there it is um which evan where would that put him on the red wings uh defensive point tally fourth there you go (laughs) um but really what he brought was that kind of defensive acuity and that ability to play defense um everything that we just said about john merrill will apply to nemeth um shoots left where he fits out on the blue line nemeth will probably play with stetcher do we think I'm my gut's telling me the second pairing is going to be Stetcher and um, Nemeth. I've got a gut feeling that um, Merrill's going to be flipped to the right side. So, hey, that second pairing might be Nemeth Merrill, <laughs> all defense, all the time, but um, which I wouldn't love because I like the offsetting of a Stetcher with a Merrill or a Nemeth, but I digress. Um, I don't know if anyone else has anything else to say about uh, Patrick Nemeth before moving on here. I think we know what a Patrick Nemeth is, and I don't think there's going to be any evolution in this game. But yeah, he's, he's good at what yeah. he does. Uh, Mark Stahl, who Detroit obviously brought in more to get the second round pick that came with him, but because there was nobody on Detroit's left side, he actually has a role to play here. And I know that was a lot. There's a big reason why I think he waived his no trade clause. Um, he had a conversation with Eisenman to say, Hey, you're going to get minutes here. 
you're not in New York, but here you're you're actually needed. So forget everything that's happened with your play, whatever. Uh, you have a role in this blue line. Does that mean he gets a ton of minutes? I personally hope not. Um, Mark Stahl is not someone to write home about in my mind, but he's not. Yeah, he fits in <laughs> as bad as that is to say. Mark Stahl would have been fourth in total defenseman points on the Red Wings last year. That's nine. That's nine points. How many? Yeah. Anyways, that's Evan's stark realities are uh, a little bit <laughs> bringing the mood down. You're having fun with it though. Uh, so eleven here, points. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, eleven points. Sorry, he's actually tied for third. <laughs> oh wow! Look at him shoot up those standings. Man, if if only Dennis Chalosky could have fed the puck up to Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll start with the positive. Mark Stahl legitimately is a guy who's been there, done that. He was part of those New York teams that were contending for the Stanley Cup year in, year out. Frequent chip trips to the conference finals, deep playoff runs, uh, a trip to the Stanley Cup final. He was a, a main piece in all of those. So if you want a guy in the room who can legitimately say, here's what it's like when your team is good and here's how you have to carry yourself, here's what you have to expect, Mark Stahl does bring a ton of value in that regard. That's where his value ends. Um, statistically, on the ice, he was one of the worst defensemen in the NHL last year. I can't imagine uh, going to a worse team and getting another year older is going to help that. I understand what Stevie said. I understand the appeal to Mark Stahl coming here. But uh, if it were up to me, he'd be on the taxi squad. But I understand that to get that second round pick, promises had to be made. If that's the reality, it was worth it. That's fine because we're not exactly blocking guys out here. I mean, I'm still a big Dennis Cholosky believer, but I mean, he hasn't been kicking the door down to take this spot and would another year of development hurt him? Probably not. So fine. Would I much rather see 26-year-old Christian Juice in this spot? Absolutely, I would, because he could be more than a one-year solution for the Red Wings, whereas we know Mark Stahl isn't. Would I like to flip John Merrill to the left side to get Alex Biega in there over Mark Stahl? Absolutely, I would. But if the cost of getting a second round pick is playing Mark Stahl for 60 games, fine. I'm I'm okay with it. I, I won't enjoy it, uh, but I'm willing to suffer through it. We've suffered before. We can suffer again. <laughs> you can't kill that, which is already dead. And if he's playing, and if, if the defensive roster goes down how we think he'll probably be playing opposite John Merrill, which should help mask some of his deficiencies at least. Um, Yeah. It's a pretty good summary there. And then you get into Christian juice, who we obviously talked about as a player at the, the start of the show, uh, Alex Biega. In my mind, those are the guys more likely to be that seventh defenseman slash maybe on the taxi squad. Um, and Brad alluded to this, Dennis Cholosky and Gustav Lidstrom would be the two young defensemen who would have been looking to make this roster. So far in camp, it doesn't really look like they've done a ton. You don't really know what the decision making is going to be there. But like you said, Brad, for Cholosky and what's essentially a write off here, a shortened season, you don't really want that guy on the taxi squad. You want him to be getting consistent reps and developing more in the AHL. You can probably expect to find him there at least to start the year. Probably same goes for Gustav Lindstrom, uh, Biega, Juice, Stahl. Any one of those guys can find themselves as the seventh defenseman or a guy on the, the six-man taxi squad. So 
the only hint I have to maybe to the Red Wings really possibly seriously looking at giving Cholosky a spot on this team this year is they didn't loan him to Europe. I thought he was a great candidate to go over and play a full year in the SHL or wherever it might be just to just to get his game back, to get him playing, to get him out of the situation he's in. Because again, I, I've went on more than a few rants over the cu- last couple of years. His, the handling of his development uh, over the last two years is, is just been incompetent. It's, I don't have a ton of criticisms in terms of what the Red Wings have done with their prospects over the last two years outside of Dennis Cholosky. The, the sitting healthy scratching him for his hometown game, his bobblehead night, the yo-yoing between Grand Rapids and the AHL. It's just been a train wreck. Get him away from this situation, spend a year in Europe. Just, just get his head right and and get his confidence back. Because especially a player of his style on the bigger ice, it would have only boosted his confidence. The fact I they, love when you bring up the bobblehead night, Brad, because I think it's so funny. I use it as a meme. I don't think it matters. I, I know, um, but still. So, all that being said, the fact they didn't loan him to Europe means they wanted him to come into this camp and, and try and kick down the door. Uh, for a roster spot, I haven't unfortunately been able to watch the Red Wing scrimmages because I think only one of them was broadcast and that was the one that was ongoing when we started recording this. I haven't seen a ton of reports that are saying he's kicking that door down, but I also haven't seen a ton of reports that are saying he's playing poorly. So I guess we'll find out in a couple days. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking there, but I, I, I'm still a, a believer in the guy. But yeah, I, I've got a gut feeling it's a... Full year in Grand Rapids form, or at least until the trade deadline, and half these defensemen we talk about get traded. If anybody gets traded this year. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, this will probably age like milk by the time the rosters are set and we're watching Detroit play on the 14th. But the reality here is there's going to be injuries, whether it's due to on ice play or regular injuries, or, you know, the unfit to play unfit to play wink wink it's covid that kind of thing um even if it's not a positive test it could just be exposure players are going to be moving up and down this year um if chelosky starts starts in grand rapids we'll see him on the red wings that's the reality of it and and the more and more i think about it too with a guy like with with rasmussen which we'll get into in chelosky specifically in a year with a condensed schedule i think we're going to see more not roster turnover but lineup turnover more than we usually would like good teams have their more (laughs) no but like i'm talking in general not just the red wings because you know if you're playing four games in a week you probably don't want to go into this exact same lineup all four games those guys are gonna get gassed especially like a guy like mark Stahl, who's well on the wrong side of 30 maybe chelosky gets two of those games and Stahl gets two of those games like i'd be totally okay if that's what they have in mind because a guy like chelosky can go in and out of the taxi squad no waivers no problem right and a guy like mark Stahl can go in and out of waivers and not get claimed no problem so i I would not be surprised too if that's their plan for him all right let's move us along to the forwards here um evan texts me he said i want to do the forwards next so evan i appreciate you making that executive decision um well, again, we'll do this line by line in terms of, you know, just to kind of give it a structure. But uh, the person controlling the lines also loves blenders. So um, know that Jeff Blashill will destroy any of your expectations if you have certain lineups set in your head. Uh, Larkin, Bertuzzi, Mantha. Dylan Larkin, 
most important player of the Detroit Red Wings or on the Detroit Red Wings at the time of recording hasn't been named captain yet. The expectation is that he's going to be named captain before the puck drop on the 14th of January. Um, I really hope for the dramatic, you know, send or like uh, announcement as these he's jumping onto the ice that it is obviously less theatrical without people in the stands. So I don't know when they'll do it, but I think sometime this week, uh, possibly by the time you're listening to this podcast, um, the de facto captain, of the team, best player on the team, Dylan Larkin, what are our expectations for him this year? So one, the closer we get to opening night without him being named captain, uh, is getting closer to the reality that I hope come true where they would do it subtly and he would just skate out onto the ice for pregame introductions with it on his chest and almost like they, almost like they don't even call it out. Just ta-da. Um, so what are my expectations for Dylan Larkin? I'm going to say more of the same as last year, but with better counting stats because he was relatively unlucky losing his running mate for half the season sure as hell didn't help and not having any defensemen outside of Philip Peronic who were able to move the puck up to him sure as hell didn't help. So Larkin last year was on pace for 60 ish points, uh, which, you know, is well short of his career high of 73. But again, look at what happened to the Red Wings last year. So, and again, when I'm talking totals, I'm talking 82 game pace because I'm not breaking down the math on this, but I expect him to get back to that 70 to 75 point pace this year. I expect if he plays the full season with Bertuzzi and Mantha, that there'll be a positive impact on the ice in terms of expected goals, shot differential, defensive reliability, whatever metric you want to look at. They were a top 15 line in the NHL last year. Think about how bad the Red Wings were last year and then think about they had a top 15 line. In the entire NHL. That should tell you everything you need to know about how good these guys actually are, especially Dylan Larkin, while ignoring the counting stats. So, um, given that they have some offensive depth now, I expect that to free him up out of some matchups, especially at home. I expect he'll get better looks on the power play because he won't need to do everything. And I expect that on the power play, especially his total should go up because he'll be playing with more players who can get him the puck, especially considering if he is running a half wall or the bumper, having more than just Anthony Mantha as an option is only going to open it up for him. Yeah. Put it, putting it simply here, I'd want him, I'd want to see him closer to that point per game pace. Um, 50 points in a 56 game season in my mind would show or would represent a little bit more of a Dylan Larkin performance that we know he can have. And for the reasons you stated, Brad, with, you know, the support below him to hopefully not have to pull Mantha Bertuzzi away from him, I think that's very possible. Injuries could derail that, of course, but uh, this is Dylan's year to really kind of take control and establish himself as, a, yeah, I'm a number one center in this league, whether you like it or not. So it's a remarkably simple preview on this player in my mind. Yeah, yeah. we we know what Dylan Larkin is. Yeah, this he's probably the easiest forward to really do some analysis on. He's more of the same. I would like to see a little bit more production. Um, that will largely depend on his supporting cast on his line staying healthy and as well as him staying healthy. And I think, you know, having new players brought in who can play on the second and third lines that will hopefully draw some attention away from that line, even though... You know, teams will still game plan that line because they will be generating generating the majority of the offense. 
I think Larkin, there's no reason for him to not, or no reason for him to not have more points this season. Um, yeah, so I, I expect something big. I would, how many games are there? 56? Yeah. <laughs> Mid 40s to 50 would be good. I don't know. <clears throat> 56 games, it's all voodoo anyway. Um, yeah. If he's, above his his career average in terms of points per game i think that'd be a really good year for him yeah if if that top line goes on a heater like they did to finish the 2019 season he might hit 50 points by february (laughs) (laughs) because they played uh 16 weeks of back-to-backs yeah much honestly and that brings us to the next player here um whose uh analysis is don't punch anyone um anthony mantha I call Dylan Larkin the best player on this team. Anthony Mantha might be the most talented player on this team. It's a guy who we've been banging our fists on the table for, uh, you know, since he joined the Red Wings. I think this is a player who can score 40 goals or at least a 40 goal pace. Um, and I'd want to see that from him this year. What's a 40 goal, uh, pace this year? 40 by 82 times 56. I want to see him score, um, yeah, 27 goals, just over 27 wow, goals. So if, that. if if Anthony Mantha scores, let's say, 23 to 27 goals, in my mind, that is really representative of what he can be for this team. An elite shot. I think he has one of the best shots in the NHL. I think he has shocking speed that people don't really realize. Um, he is a physical player. He plays amazingly on the cycle. Um, we talk about Bertuzzi meshing really well at that top line, and I think, you know, it's easy to play with really good players, but you have to be a certain kind of player to really mesh with them and, and credit to Bertuzzi on that. Anthony Mantha drives offense. So does Dylan Larkin. The Red Wings stealing games and overperforming, a lot of that falls on the shoulders of Anthony Mantha. So if he can stay healthy, the 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 positives to his game are just there waiting to be expressed on the, on the stat sheet. Um What's the biggest criticism we've had of Mantha in the past? Sometimes he coasts when he, you know, is below the other team's red line and, and fell down behind the net or something. Like, you, how much of that have you seen over the past little while? All Anthony Mantha has to do is stay healthy. Sure, some injuries happen and they just, you, what can you do? That's the nature of one of the most violent sports you can find on TV. Um, but a lot of it comes from him getting into altercations that he really shouldn't be as a star near superstar for the Red Wings. So, don't punch people. Put goals in the net. Put pucks in the net and make Dylan Larkin's life way easier. That is Anthony Mantha's outlook for this year. Now, you said Anthony Mantha may be the most talented player on the Red Wings. I will say Anthony Mantha because well, Moritz Sider hasn't joined yet. <laughs> I will say Anthony Mantha is the most talented player on the Red Wings. And Again, the easy answer is Dylan Larkin, but Dylan Larkin has some intangibles that put him over the top. Larkin's Work ethic is second to none and his skating is second to none. And I, that being said, I do want to get a myth out of the way because Anthony Mantha kind of suffers from Johan Franzen syndrome where he's so big and he's so smooth. It looks like he's not trying. Look how many board battles he wins and how many puck battles he wins. Uh, most of them. In one hand, someone will say Anthony Mantha doesn't care enough and he doesn't try. And in the other hand, you're saying, Anthony, stop getting into fights and stop hurting people and stop hurting yourself. Um, generally people who get into fights, get into fights because they care. So you can't make both arguments, which is kind of insane to me that I see that happening on the internet from time to time. But let's break down Anthony Mantha as a player, because for all the praise we've given this guy on the podcast, I still 
Don't think he gets the credit. So Anthony Mantha skate. Anthony Mantha is skating. He is deceptively fast. I still remember two years ago that goalie scored against Pittsburgh where Larkin lobbed it into the offensive zone from his own end behind the Pittsburgh defenseman, and Mantha just made that guy look like he couldn't even skate for the goal. Just blow past him, and we've seen it. The game-winning goal against Vegas last year, Mantha doesn't lose many straight-line races. Anthony Mantha's shot, elite. Elite, one of the best in the league. Anthony Mantha's hands, unbelievable. Super soft hands, can stick handle in traffic, can stick handle with speed. Passing. He can hit the seams. He can run the cycle. He can make passes in traffic and through traffic. He just generally doesn't have to because anytime he's near the home plate area, the better option for Anthony is to shoot because he's got that shot. And off this cycle, he is near unmovable. He does not lose puck battles unless he is outnumbered. He can make plays while on the cycle, while in traffic. There is, and guess what? For those believers in metrics, He was the strongest defensive forward on the Red Wings last year. He is a three-zone player with elite offense. This guy is special, and the only thing that went wrong for him last year was health. If he stays healthy this year, he's a a point-per-game player. Damn near it. 30 to 40 goal score pace. I mean, the sky is the limit for this guy. When you are six foot five and have the talent he does, you will go exactly as far as your team will let you. Yeah, and the crazy thing is about Manta is I still don't think I still think the best is yet to come. I I still think there's more to get from Anthony Manta. <clears throat> um, lose my voice. Bye, <laughs> Evan. <laughs> I was too excited. Um, like he hasn't played an 82 game season yet, um, and he won't this year. <laughs> and he definitely won't this year. Well, I'll say 82 game played pace. Um, like last year, he was almost a point a, play, a point a game per player or point. Oh my Hello. god! Go to bed, Evan. <laughs> it's my bedtime. Yeah, Evan, you're good. We'll take it from here. No, <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's been great uh, catching up with you guys. I'll see you guys on Wednesday. And that was um, the last time they saw it, Thursday, Thursday. Yeah, they played whatever I'm trying to say. After point per game player. Yeah. Um, it's another year of chemistry with the with Bertuzzi and Larkin. Um. I don't see why he can't be a point per game player this year if if he stays healthy and um, COVID and the whole general health of the league and the team can can stay consistent. Anthony Mantha's career high is forty eight points. I want to see him beat that. I want a fifty point uh, mark for him. I want twenty five, twenty five, or even more lopsided towards goals for him. Um, I'm tired of having to try to explain to people that Anthony Mantha is better than his counting stats and stop telling on yourselves for not watching him play hockey. Again, for factors that he can control, I think he can play a a lot more games, um, and that's what's expected of him. And finally, for the top line, Tyler Bertuzzi, who's in a funny situation because even though last year was a contract year, the solution to that was a one-year, $3.5 million contract through arbitration. So uh, again, he is in a contract year. Um, and will want to show that he is worth the money that he says he's worth because, um, he has had a lot of success, 48 points in 71 games last year for Tyler Bertuzzi for a similar stat line, uh, the, the year previous, he'll want to continue that obviously benefited a lot from Larkin to Mantha, but Hey, if this is a guy who's going to be in the left wing, um, or sorry to, to play on the wing of Larkin 
opposite Mantha, continue to be a fan favorite, uh, get in the dirty areas, punch the right people in the face, uh, continue to drag two Carolina Hurricanes on the ground in a scrum, uh, put in goals, just be in the right place at the right time to play with two of the most talented players in the division. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi has that ability to, despite not being a superstar himself, uh, mesh well with a couple of them. Um, he he doesn't get enough credit in my mind for how much he's elevated his game. To sh- for him to do that for a third consecutive season would really kind of solidify him as a as a, a stalwart and a, a a mainstay of this top six moving forward. Um, obviously, he's twenty five right now, so he still has a lot of good years ahead of him. If he wants a good contract, I, I'm sure he's going to play his heart out for it. He makes Larkin and Mantha's life easy or easier playing on that line. There is a little bit more forward talent to play up with him this year. So you could see Bertuzzi travel up and down, but I don't think he has the same success down the lineup that we've seen obviously with Larkin and Mantha. So for me, what I want to see from Bertuzzi is more of the same. He's probably the only player where I'm like, if you play the same as you did last year, I'll consider this a successful season for you. Yeah. I mean, he's in his mid twenties, just like Mantha. Uh, so we, we can pretty confidently say we know who both of them are as players. Just Mantha hasn't played a full season. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi has. So we know what an 80 game season from Tyler Bertuzzi looks like. And what we've seen is when he plays with good players, he has the perfect mindset and the right skill set to be able to play off them very well. And when he's down in the lineup, it doesn't go great for him because he's not a line driver. And that's fine. You need guys like Tyler Bertuzzi to fill out your roster. Again, it, it's not the type of guy you overpay, which is why I'm happy that Eiserman didn't buckle on his contract, whatever his contract demands were this year. But still, Bertuzzi's best case scenario this year is simple. Bribe Jeff Blashill to not take him off that top line and he'll do just fine as he's done for the last two years. It, he's the yeah. perfect complimentary piece for that line. So I, unless someone like Mantha gets hurt on that line and they got to break up him and Larkin, I don't see why that he should be moved off that line unless the wheels completely fall off. And Bertuzzi is one of the very few players in the league. I I call it puck coordination. I I don't know if there's a better word for it, where even though he doesn't skate that well, he doesn't have a great shot. And he's not the type of player who's got hands to turn defensemen inside out. Point shots, he gets a stick on most of them. A puck in his feet, he can kick it to his stick really well. A bouncing puck in front of the net, he can somehow get a clean shot off. There's very few players that can do like do what they want with the puck, no matter what position the puck is in. If that makes sense. Like he, he's just got that knack of being able to do what he needs to do. Um, And when you're playing with a guy who shoots like Mantha and a guy who moves around the puck around the zone, like Larkin does, it's a really damn valuable skill set to have. So like I said, it's not a knock on him to say he can't drive a line. And it, it's hard to play off good players because you got to be able to keep up and do what they need you to do. How so, many guys that go went through Sidney Crosby's line who just couldn't play with them? Yeah. And we the Canadian team took Chris Kunitz to the Olympics because he was the only guy <laughs> who could play with Sidney Crosby. Tyler Bertuzzi would score 55 goals on the Penguins is what I've been saying. Yes. Yeah. What's the the running joke from hockey Twitter? Mark Donk on that line. 
with Pittsburgh. Just like some, it. yeah, just some random guy will come up and then he, he meshes with Crosby and all of a sudden he's a 40 goal scorer. <laughs> Pretty like, much. There, there's a lot to say for chemistry. Um, speaking of which, a, a much hypothesized and something that we've actually seen in camp line, um, Zadina and uh, Bobby Ryan centered by, uh, Fabry, which is ambitious in that, you know, the Red Wings are trying to find a second line center where they didn't have one previously. Last year, they asked Phil Pula to do that. And, you know, Phil Pula did the best that he could. Anyone who expected more from Phil Pula was, you know, maybe a little bit disillusioned as to the kind of 10 years too late. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll first talk about Robbie Fabry as a centerman. Look, he had a lot of success last year for the Red Wings, um, playing with not always the best players, especially on the wing. Um, and I think he did well. We've seen him play at center. We've seen him play at wing. You don't have to look much further than the eye test, but even when you look into the metrics as well, Robbie Fabry is best utilized on the wing and that, that's just the reality of it but when you're talking about a team that's deficient in centerman behind dylan larkin it's not necessarily a bad move to flip a winger to center if he's still at least decent or sufficient you know as sad as it is to say that's one of the words of the year for detroit if fabry can be sufficient as a second line center even if he's not the best one in the division or you know he if he's passable and can give Zadina and Bobby Ryan the space, or Nemesnikov or whoever's playing that wing, Brome maybe, the space to play. I don't mind that move. Okay, so one little wrinkle to this is Bobby Ryan's been unfit to play the last uh, couple scrimmages. Right. So I think tonight Nemesnikov actually stepped up in a spot because I saw a lot of Nemesnikov, Zadina are flying out there tweets. So that that's a good sign. Um, whether or not that becomes the new second line and Bobby Ryan just gets demoted to the third or Fabry and Nemesnikov flip-flop, whatever. I'm not super invested in that because let's let's not forget one team. One thing, this team sucks. Whoever is playing second line center on this team would not play second line center on just about every other NHL team, whether that's a guy who is skilled enough to play on the second line, Robbie Fabry, but is not naturally a center, or who a guy is maybe a step behind in skill, but can actually play center in Vlad Nemesnikov. Again, I am not super invested in it. I like the idea of trying Fabry there. If it works, great. That problem we talked about with Pierre-Luc Dubois earlier might be solved by Robbie Fabry. Not that he's a permanent long-term solution, but if he can be a stopgap until the Red Wings draft a Kent Johnson or God forbid, <laughs> God willing a Shane Wright, awesome. It gives them time to solve the road because kicking the can down the road is not always a bad thing. And again, in my opinion, the way the lineup is set right now, Blashill's deploying the six most skilled players in the top six. I am very pro that. Long way of saying, I don't think Robbie Fabry is a centerman. I agree with Ryan, but there's no harm in trying it to me. If it works great, if it doesn't, oh well. That is my resounding thoughts on this. Robbie Fabry massively outperformed expectation last year. So let's just view this as we're playing with house money and we're doubling down on an 11 with him at center. Whatever. Who cares? Well, when you're uh, the historically, uh, historically bad team, it's a low risk move to try to put someone in that center right now. Mm -hmm. If you know, we're, if we thought the Red Wings were going to be battling tough for the last playoff spot, then I might have a lot of concerns about where's our second line center. Um, but if it works, it works. I don't think it will. I think Robbie Fabry is going to have some troubles there, but, um, 
we got other guys to throw in there if need be and being the second line center on this team right now is not going to be fun but uh if we can find if they can find someone to do it then that's good enough for now and it's worth noting too that fabry has the one skill you want in a centerman above all else he's a smart player he, he, because of his knee surgeries, he doesn't skate like he used to. His hands are above average. They're good. But he, he makes the right plays, and that's what made him effective last year. He got to the areas of the ice he needed to to be successful. And unlike in St. Louis, in Detroit, he was put with players who could get him the puck in that situation because he wasn't playing on the fourth line. Um, so you look at a line, if he's playing with uh, Zadina and Ryan or Nemesnikov, uh those are guys who know how to play offense. They'll get the puck to the right spots more often than they won't. I know Zadina is more of a shooter, but still, Nemesnikov and Bobby Ryan aren't. They're, they're playmakers. So, you know, it, it could work out. And again, it, for me, it just circles back to if it works, great. If it doesn't, who cares? Here's where the Red Wings lineup is, is, uh, made or lost for me or their season. We know what to expect from the goalies. We know what to expect from the defense. For this team to win games, they need to score more and they need to get offensive generation from anything beyond their top three players. Uh, depth scoring on a lot of teams means scoring down to the fourth line. I don't expect that from these Red Wings. You don't have to look much further than, you know, um, Philpula, Ernie, Nielsen, or, you know, even Sam Gagne. Like, you're not going to get a, a world of goals there. But if you can get Fabry Zadina Ryan or Fabry Zadina Nemesnikov or Brome or whoever to be a productive line, that means this team is going to put in more goals and win more games that they maybe should have last season. The focal point of that for me isn't Robbie Fabry playing center. The focal point for me is does Philip Zadina produce score and even drive the line to some degree this season in a big way does he take that step and score at a 20 goal pace and continue to play nhl level hockey while getting better and better that's not to say the whole season falls on zadina's shoulders and if he fails the red wings fail no the red wings are who they are and we know that but if we are going to see them take a big step forward a lot of that will ride on how much zadina is able to do because their top six talent top six talent is more hypothetical in terms of what they have in the future with Raymond and Berggren and whoever else. But if Zadina can make that flip from this guy is part of the future to this guy is playing in the present and he's producing right now, the Red Wings top six is rounded out in a very real way. Larkin Bertuzzi Mantha is a great line. Like you said, Brad, top 15 line in the league. If Zadina can produce enough to put, you know, to make Fabry and, and whoever the winger is, a more than viable second line. This is a team that's not miserable to watch night in and night out. So from all reports in camp, asterisks, Zadina's looked great. He was great in the Czech league. Um, some people said his counting stats in the Czech league on his loan weren't great, but let's keep in mind, Zadina's a shooter primarily. He needs people to get him the puck and he wasn't exactly playing with the, the cream of Europe in terms of talent. So the fact he was doing as good as he was, was a good sign. Um, one noted thing I've seen several people point out about the Red Wings few scrimmages this year is Zadina has almost developed a little Datsuk in him. He has been winning a lot of puck battles and stripping guys of the puck pretty cleanly more often than you would think, especially for a guy of his size. And when you have the hands that Philip Zadina has, this is an 
a talent that can absolutely be learned. So if he's learned that, that that's actually exciting because his biggest struggle last year in the NHL was getting the puck. When he had it, he was doing great things with it. Um, it was just getting it. And he was on a line with Val Philpla and whatever the hell other slappy had happened to be on that line. And occasionally he got lucky and it was Robbie Fabry. Um, and when he was there, he was... So again, his primary centerman was Valtteri Philpla, and he put up over a half a point per game as a rookie on the 2019-20 Detroit Red Wings. There is no reason to not be optimistic about Philip Zadina this year. Am I certain he's going to score 20 goals? No, of course not. This team still sucks. We don't know who his centerman is. We're talking about a winger as his centerman right now. Could Philip Zadina hit 20, 25 goals? Absolutely he could this year. Um... Again, this guy was a sixth overall pick for a reason. Whether or not he's better than Quinn Hughes doesn't matter. Nobody in revisionist history is going to say he wasn't worthy of that top six pick yet. He's still there and he's done nothing to disprove that. So I think playing with guys, whether again, it's Ryan, Nemesnikov, Fabry, any combination of those three, those are guys who are going to be able to get him the puck more often than he got it last year. Couple that with the fact that he's a year older, a year smarter, a year better. Yeah, I'm expecting Zadina to put play at about a 45 to 50 point pace this year. Again, over an 82 game season, not doing the math on a 56 game season, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm the conductor of the, Z- the Zadina hype train right now, even though for me, it's more cautious optimism than anything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because a lot of people have jumped off and I don't know why. Philip Zadina should be driving his line, period. Like, he's got the talent. He's improved drastically. Everything we've heard so far in training camp is he's improved drastically. I don't see why this is breakout year number one if last season wasn't the the primer. Um, and number and see, next year to be the, the true 82-game breakout. Um, this year, I, I think it's all steam ahead for him. Um, he's got better line mates this year. Um, I think there's a, a, a strong connection with him and Bobby Ryan so far in camp, um, wh- which I'm really liking. So this is the year I think everything starts to come together for, for Philip Zadina, and um, I'm really excited to see what he does this year. Okay. In my mind, those you know, five players that we talked about make up the players who I really am, am keying in on to be the main drivers of Detroit's offense. And that's not a slight to Bobby Ryan, Vlad Nemesnikov, uh, Brome, who we'll, we'll probably see filter into the top six throughout the year. Um, and then, of course, because it's Jeff Lasha, we'll see Darren Helm and Luke Lindenning there as well. Um, that's just the reality of it. Um, those are the guys to watch to see how Detroit does in terms of really taking their offense to another level this year. That said, let's talk about Bobby Ryan, Vlad Nemestikov, and Brome this year, who's had a, a, a Brome's had a fantastic camp, Matthias Brome. Um, what do we expect from those three, and, and what kind of game do we want them to contribute for the Red Wings this season? Well, I'll start with Bobby Ryan because this is probably the simplest answer. He's on a prove it year. Um, hopefully from the looks of it, he's got his life in order. He didn't have a great year in Ottawa last year, but let's not forget the first half of that season. Uh, he, he had, he was battling alcoholism, which is going to affect your on ice play a lot. And he played well when he came back from that. Uh, but his role is going to be simple. 
play five on five, tread water, help our power play. Now, he's still a skilled player. Outside of last year, he was still putting up over a half a point per game regularly. So he can contribute um, at five on five and especially on the power play. Um, do I expect him to be a line driver at five on five? No, of course not. If he's playing with Fabry and Zadina, he's number three of the three guys who are going to drive that line in order. So, but that's fine. He doesn't have to be a wizard. He doesn't. Everyone would be a threat on that line. Yeah. And that's the thing that every player on that line can contribute. So if Zadina, uh, if, um, Zadina and Fabry are the guys generating most of that. Yeah, of course, Bobby, anything Bobby Ryan contributes is going to be considered bonus if that's how it plays out, which is hopefully how it should. Maybe we get a return from at the deadline. Maybe we don't. Maybe he pops off on the left side on the power play and he is well over a half a point per game from that alone because from what I've saw before he was deemed unfit to play for whatever reason, he was getting reps on the first power play unit, which means he's going to be sitting opposite uh, Mantha, which means he's going to probably get more ice than he's used to. Um, yeah, I, again, not huge expectations, a very simple role, whether that's on the second or third line. I think, I think he'll do, I don't think he's going to blow the doors off anything, but I think he'll be fine. I think the extra time off in this off season will do wonders for him because it allowed him to spend more time conditioning, um, getting some full rest, and everything I've read so far in camp, he's come in with a really strong attitude, really great energy, and that's exactly the thing I was looking to see out of him in this camp because we know what he is. He's a playmaker. He's got some soft hands, and he can, he's got a deadly release. Half a point per game would be fantastic for him, and I, he wants to be there. That's another guy who wants to be there, and um, I think he said something like, Steve Eiserman was the first guy he talked to, and then he just said, let's get this done. He didn't even call the other teams uh, to talk. So, And I know we keep using this half a point per game benchmark, which is depressingly low for <laughs> <Yes>. us, <laughs> for a benchmark for a second line player. But may I remind you guys of Red Wings uh, who contributed over half a point per game last year. Dylan Larkin, Anthony Mantha, Tyler Bertuzzi, Robbie Fabry, Philip Zadina. End of list. <laughs> it's not a long list. So that is the benchmark. We had a guy who scored like 22 points centering the second line. So yeah, no. Bar Six is very players hard. over 20 points. Yeah, and we laugh. But if Bobby Ryan puts up a half a point per game pace, he literally, literally is doubling the guy he's replacing on the second line. So he'd be third on total T points last year. Oh my God. So yeah, it's it's a massive upgrade, which is all we're asking for this year. Again, this is all with the with the understanding. We know the Red Wings are not going to be a good team this year. We just want improvement. So if we can get a second line player to replace another second line player and it's a 20 point improvement, fantastic. That's a massive win. It doesn't double it again. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a big win, but it's a massive win. What is it four years until we have a thousand points per game or something like that? Hell yeah um bobby ryan and matthias Brome and, and vlad domestikov those are the guys where i'm like okay this is 
these are guys who are coming in uh, not as rookies. We're not asking them to develop fundamentals. They're not just learning the game. Matthias Brome is an established player. By all rights, he's a veteran of professional hockey. Uh, and we've seen that in camp. He's had a good camp so far. He's been able to produce offensively, generate uh, uh, offense on the play, and do those little things. Like when Brad mentioned Zadina with the puck battles, that's something that he had to learn and pick up. Matthias Brome is already doing that. You slot him into the top six or middle six, and this is a guy who's no longer just a black hole like we had last season. Um, same goes with Vlad Nemesnikov. These are in Vlad Nemesnikov is obviously a player that Steve Eisenman is familiar with from his time in Tampa Bay. These are guys who can come in and just be better than uh, uh, below replacement value. When you have to play Justin Abdelkader in your in your top or middle six. And this isn't a slight on Justin Abdelkader, the person. I feel like we have to keep repeating that. But Justin Abdelkader, the player, it just does something to the lineup. It, it, it takes away so much energy and so much momentum and so much opportunity from the players around him. So we talk about Robbie Fabry playing center. Yeah, he might not be the best fit there. But there's a big difference between Robbie Fabry surrounded by you know Luke Glendening and Justin Abdelkader to Robbie Fabry surrounded by Philip Zadina and Vlad Nemesnikov. Elevation of a line through the, the line mates you have is – this shouldn't be a novel concept to anyone, but that's huge in hockey. Um, those three players in my mind are, are huge. They're the, the the poster boys for Steve Eisenman filling in the middle six with guys who can actually play and generate offense in a not, you know, uh, Hollywood kind of way, but a, a meaningful kind of way to, to bring the team together. Yeah. And a guy like there, there's a sick twisted reality here where Vladimir Mestikov might be the Red Wings most important forward this year. Because in a normal year, you have to deal with injuries. In a year like this, God knows what they're going to have to deal with. But we talk about guys who can play up and down the lineup. And the reality is over the last few years, the guys who have played up and down the lineup for the Red Wings have been Darren Helm and Luke Lindenning. Those are not guys who can play up and down the lineup. Those are guys who have had to play up and down the lineup because there wasn't better options. So if Vlad Nemesnikov starts off on the third line, and the Bobby Ryan experiment fails or the Fabriot Center experiment fails. Nemesnikov's a guy who can go plug in and they don't lose a ton offensively. He can play center or wing wherever he's needed. If it's going all well in the top six and they need a guy to anchor the third line, he absolutely can be that guy. You need him on the wing at uh, the third line so Rasmussen can play center? Sure. You need him to play center? Sure. Need a penalty kill? Sure. Need a plug on the power play? Sure. Nemesnikov is going to be that guy who's going to bounce around the lineup. And unlike previous years, he'll be mostly effective at it. Again, talent level, not where it should be relative to the rest of the league, given what he's going to be asked to do. And that's fine. But it's encouraging just to see a guy like that do, uh, be able to do the things that Jeff Blashill will probably need him to do. And if Brome contributes anything, and I mean anything above the fourth line, huge win, massive win. He he was an unsigned free agent out of Europe, zero risk, doesn't matter if he ever plays a game for the Red Wings. The fact that he's had a good camp, the fact that it looks like he's going to get a look on the Red Wings is more than I was honestly expecting already. I figured he'd be a taxi squad guy, um, but hey, I... This is what we've been saying for years. 
I'd rather they play guys who might be bad than guys we know are bad. So if Bromay's getting reps over some of these guys, hell yeah. If it doesn't work out, it literally means nothing. It costs nothing. We plug whatever slappy we've been plugging in there the last few years. Great. Who cares? But if it works, he's younger, he's better. We maybe plug another hole for a couple of years. Um, now down the lineup, whoever you're looking at, Glenn Denning, Philpula, Sam Gagne, who, you know, and this isn't a slight on Sam Gagne, but you're hoping that Sam Gagne isn't needed in the top six too much this year, that he can just be that veteran solid presence in the bottom six. Um, Ernie to play defense, really, that's, that's what he's expected to do. Helm, um, you know, of course, uh, we have the Helm stand club uh, in the Red Wings world. So Helm will be the champion of the bottom six or whatever floats your boat. And then Nielsen, those are the guys. That's the bottom six. They're, they're going to be filtering in and out. They might get pushed up the roster as Jeff Blashill sees fit to the dismay of many or maybe to a lot of people's uh, joy. But um, you would hope that those are the guys who are just playing bottom six hockey. And that's not a slight on all of them. Like Luke Lindenny, I think, has a very meaningful role in this team. But I think he would have a lot more meaningful role in a competitive team because of the kind of game he plays. But still, uh, Darren Helm, uh, kind of same vein there. So ernie you just want him to play solid defense because that's all he really can do franz nielsen franz nielsen's not in the lineup most nights i wouldn't be shocked and it would be kind of adequate to the level of hockey we've seen from him the question here is about the young guys who would come up to take those spots michael rasmussen uh evgeny svechnikov who right now is unfit to play due to what we think is injury um giovanni smith do we see them on the taxi squad or do we see them in the ahl by all accounts it doesn't seem like anyone has really made a strong strong case to kick down the door but at the again at the time of recording roster decisions haven't been made but like i alluded to with dennis chloski on defense wherever they start you'll see them on the flip side at some point in the season yeah i mean that's the benefit of having that many unrestricted free agents there will be opportunity towards the end of the year even if they only trade a fraction of them that's still a few spots to open up now, for Nielsen and Adam Ernie, if it were up to me, they would not see the Red Wings this year, short of uh, COVID and injury. But hey, those those are the two perfect taxi squad guys. Um, but yeah, because I mean, if Nemesnikov, Brome, Gagne is the third line, yeah, then Glenn Denning and Helm will have their spots and everybody's battling out for that one spot. Again, I'm going to beat it to death ad nauseum throughout the whole year. This roster is not going to look the same. There's no way guys aren't going in and out of the lineup, and that's fine. But you just want you just want one of those young guys to make an impression, force their hand. Again, sounds like uh, Giovanni Smith and Michael Rasmussen had a pretty good game tonight. Good sign. Svechnikov apparently is suffering from Rick DiPietro syndrome and just can't stay healthy, which sucks. But I mean. He's not waiver eligible, so it's better he goes on IR than waivers. So, you know, I guess take what you can get there. But yeah, it, it, we'll, we'll see Rasmussen and, and Giovanni Smith at some point this year. And maybe even Taro Hirose, who I don't think we talk about enough, given that he's been more than competent in um, his tenure with the Red Wings thus far. So I, I don't think it's fair to him that we leave him out of these conversations because he's done just as much. As a guy like Giovanni Smith has done so far, just Giovanni Smith has the benefit of being younger. So, I don't know. It just When it comes to these bottom six guys, 
Um, and, and I know this is pro- almost hypocritical coming from me. Don't get hung up on it. Don't get hung up who's in the lineup <laughs> night in, night out. Don't fret because it might just be load management. It might be trying to get a look at guys. It might be auditioning guys for the trade deadline. It could be a million things. I say this knowing fully well I'm complaining about every line decision that's made all year. But it's our job to do that. Not yeah. yours. Let us let us do the worrying and the complaining and the bitching for you because in the grand grand scheme, this year it really doesn't matter. Okay. That is our kind of pretty granular, very deep dive. I know a lot of you who are like shorter episodes are like, woof, but this is the season preview, remember? I know it's a little bit weird doing it in January. Uh, but that's our Red Wings 2021 season preview. Let's get into some predictions, some takes, some broader concepts here before wrapping up and going to overtime. Overall season prediction, I know you two had Detroit, I think, seventh in the central. I had them eighth. In a 31-team league, where do we see them finishing overall? 30. I said 30, or I said seven out of eight, so I have to say 30. Yeah, I uh, like his. If I break it down by who are the worst teams in every other division, I probably have New Jersey penciled in as the worst team in the East. Um, even though they just got dealt a huge blow in net, I still like Blackwood and I still think they're a better team. Now, New Jersey might have the disadvantage of playing in the Thunderdome. Detroit might steal more wins than they deserve to from teams like Nashville and Florida. Uh, New Jersey's probably not going to get that benefit, so I wouldn't be surprised surprised if they finish behind Detroit I can see Arizona being a train wreck but again they still have one of the better goaltending tandems in the league and they're not playing in a very strong division either uh, and in the Canadian division I it's not a strong division so I see Ottawa stealing more wins than they should I think it's a four-team race to the bottom maybe five if you want to include Ottawa and I think best case scenario on the terms of if you want Detroit going up the standings is 27th 26th maybe yeah I, i'm gonna kind of copy you guys here i think 30 if i put them last in the central i don't think i could put them much higher than 30 i will say my predicting them to be last in the central is probably one of my more controversial takes like self-identified there and last year i i was i remember when we did our season preview and i said detroit's gonna be last in the league i was confident and steadfast and i've never been more right about anything in my life sadly Uh, i was so aggressively right about that but no this year i i really think that chicago could and might actually probably be worse than them um if i'm gonna be wrong about that i think i'm gonna be wrong about that to the tune of two or three spots i'll say 30th but like you said brad i think they can go as high as like 27th here around that range um there's a lot of team there are a lot of teams who are going to be bad in a bad way and all it takes is a couple key things that their entire building or stature is standing on and they're looking at losing games five six games in a row and we're no strangers to that. We know that that can happen to the Red Wings very easily. You lose a Lark and you lose a Mantha and oh, you don't really have much of a top six anymore. But yeah. like, And I and I want some context here too for our listeners who, who are sitting there going, oh, here we go. Winged Wheel Podcast being negative again. No, I can't understate how improved I think this team is. The fact that I'm even, I don't have them last. Um, That's the most optimistic Season preview we've probably had in three years at I know. least. Honestly, yeah. I legitimately expect big improvement from the Red Wings this year. They were 
like miles and miles away from 30th place last year. So the fact that I think they can get there is uh like remarkable improvement. Um I know we've talked about Dom Lucision's um uh I don't know what you want to call it, win model that he runs. He had the Detroit Red Wings adding the most wins based on the players they de- subtracted and added to their roster this year. So simply put, he thinks the Detroit Red Wings, his model says the Detroit Red Wings are the most improved team in the NHL. And his model had them moving from 31st to 31st. So the fact we're putting him, we're putting them anywhere but 31st is just unbridled optimism and shows you how deep the hole was last year (laughs) really it's just us saying we love what the team what steve eisenman did in the offseason we have more faith in every position group on this team and we expect improvement from every position group on this team it's just that the hole was so cataclysmically deep and it was the mariana's trench plus yeah Ottawa was one of the, the the second worst team in the league by a lot in my mind. They got 62 points in 71 games. Detroit in 71 games last in the league got 39. That's insane. That's nearly 12 wins. That a 12 win difference in terms of points there. That doesn't happen. They just like last year when when we keep saying historically bad, we don't mean the Red Wings are, are bad over time. That's that couldn't be less true about any franchise in sports. We mean last season was a historically bad season. I think Detroit will put up a um over an 82 game season pace, adjust this down to fix 56 games. I'm not gonna make you guys listen to me type into a keyboard. Um, I think they'll put up 70 points this year, maybe 70 to 74 points. And I think that'll that'll be good for 30th, if not 31st. That is still, like these guys have said, a massive improvement over 39 points in 71 games. Like that is absolutely, that would be a huge, huge success. If Detroit finishes second, drafts fifth or sixth, but and scores that many points, I'll consider this a success for the Red Wings. I'm not being funny here. I'm never funny. I know that, but I'm not being funny here. Um, okay. Season predictions seem to be, uh, none of these are hot takes. Let's give us... Each of you, each of us will give our hot take about the Red Wings this season. Genuine hot take. And I'm not allowed to copy my one from the Patreon episode then? That's the one? No. Okay. I don't even remember it. So I was going to say, you guys could remember yours? <laughs> I remember mine because you guys said mine was the most likely. <laughs> what was it? I predicted the Red Wings would have two players score at a 30-goal pace this year, and neither of them would be named Dylan Larkin. Oh, because I had okay. three candidates in mind for it, so I and just needed Aaron two Helms of them. Really going on a heater. <laughs> well, I mean, he'll have that pace locked up pretty soon. Darren Helm might score fifty and fifty sixes. Yeah, so let's with, be honest. With, with how condensed the schedule is, he'll have thirty by Valentine's. Wayne day. Gretzky, Darren Helm. You just said <laughs> That's the all same I need thing to know. Twice. <laughs> um, I don't know about hot take this year. I feel like the hot take this year has something to do with Moritz Sider. And I think I, I'm going to make my hot take. I'm going to pander a little bit here because we haven't talked about the opportunity of Moritz Sider coming later in the season. I think Moritz Sider comes, plays as he can once the SHL season is over and it ends up being a top two defenseman on the Detroit Red Wings. That's my hot take. It's pure pandering. But. Okay, Ryan, let me start by saying if Moritz Sider comes over and plays 
uh, regular minutes for the Detroit Red Wings. I'd be frankly disappointed in him if he's not a top two defenseman on this team. <laughs> don't don't. He's going to have eight breath. points in order to be third on last year's uh, defensive scoring. <laughs> Evan, I'm going to close your tab for you so you don't have this reference open anymore. <laughs> this is going to be an ongoing thread. Oh, Heronic had three points. That puts him in seventh in scoring on the team last year. Oh, Evan, we have to find a, uh, a name for this segment for Evan just to do depressing comparisons for point totals. Well, if we're going with mildly lukewarm takes here, I'm I'll gonna, piss off. I I really don't know because the hot takes, like I can't go a hot take on the Red Wings overall as a team because I just said exactly what I expect out of them. So I can't really get off of that. So uh, I'm going to go with three mildly lukewarm takes but all are pretty unlikely to happen but realistic enough i'm gonna go troy stetcher sets a career high in points despite it being a shortened season which means i'm gonna predict he gets at least 25 points whoa that's not pace i'm gonna say he gets 25 points that's nearly a half point yeah nearly and i think he's gonna get big opportunity on this team so why the hell not it's a hot take right uh i'm gonna say matthias brome plays at least 50 games Okay. And I'm going to say, okay, let's get let's get real hot here. I'm going to say by the 25% mark of the season, Michael Rasmussen's a staple in the lineup. That in my mind is about as hot a take as the Stetcher thing. So those are two hot takes. I'll take that. There we go. I'm not giving one grandiose one, but like, yeah, these are a bit of a reach. Here's one. I, I toss around in my head, and I, I would almost want to save this for a future year, but uh, screw it. Why not? Dylan Larkin gets Selkie votes this year. Hell yeah. I think Dylan Larkin will be a Selkie candidate in the future, and I think this year is the, the year he starts to get attention. That's my hot take. Maybe not probable, but let's get hot with it. All right, Evan. Philip Zadina's not Calder eligible, is he? Has he yeah. played more than 25? Well, I was going to say he's up for the Calder, but clearly that wouldn't work. Well, more than um, going to win it. So. Anthony Mantha finishes top 10 in goal scoring. Oh, I like that one. If he's, really- if, big caveat, if he stays healthy, that could be a good hot take. Yeah. I mean, none of the, a hot take isn't anything you actually think is going to happen. It's more of like, maybe, eh, maybe, maybe. And if he's you look back the- at it at the end of the year. If you look back at the end of a year on a prediction and you were horribly wrong, you feel bad about it. If you look back at the end of the year on a hot take and you're like, wow, I wasn't even close. Ah, well. <laughs> that That's how I would feel. But he's got all the tools that can score in so many different ways. If he stays healthy and this team looks okay, he could do it. All right. Last hot take. I don't believe this one. I'm, I'm giving this like a 2% chance in my head. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a red wing by the end of february i mean we talked about it for about a half an hour so Anthony <laughs> I said Manta it a finishes top 10 in scoring for the uh, in the league but on the columbus blue jackets <laughs> i said it out loud and i believe it even less now so maybe i retract it okay um jonathan bernier gets a first round pick at the deadline there's the hottest this. take yeah there we go i had to out hot all of you guys you had to out stupid me huh yeah, I just because I seen it on Twitter today, so I'm like, it's gonna happen now. Because Bill from Ann Arbor said it would. 
Okay, Detroit Red Wings 2020-2021 season preview. Um, we're going to know the lineup in the next few few days. We're possibly going to know who's wearing the C on their jersey over the next few days. Um, but that's it, folks. We just went uh, from March, mid-March until January 10th of the next year without Red Wings hockey. We are almost there. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. It feels nothing short of miraculous that we're all back. And we're going to be watching actual Red Wings hockey again soon. Um, it felt good to do a season preview. But for now, let's get into overtime. For new listeners and old listeners and middle listeners, uh, overtime is the segment where we take fan questions, comments, rude remarks about Brad and general praise towards Evan. Um from a few different sources, but mainly Patreon. Uh, Patreon is the way that this show is supported, um, funded. It's how we're allowed to uh, kind of grow the show, expand it, do what we need to do. And it's how you guys made us. It's really the main drivers to, to how you guys made us the biggest Red Wings podcast in the air. So um, thank you to all of our patrons, our, our beautiful supporters. So we start out with their questions and comments first and foremost every episode. Um I'm going to start off here with, as I load them all up, because there's plenty of you, from Tyrone Bigham's brand Big Bag of Titties. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what I get for doing the sentimental lead-in. And then... (laughs) Yeah. That caught me right off guard. Yeah, me too. I didn't even have it loaded. Like I was trying to load that as we were going. So, uh, okay. Another Washington defenseman is in Detroit. I'm ready for my draft on Monday with the group. Uh, what's up with this defense group? So many people were added and Schlosky looks like he won't ever get a chance this season. If you had to draft one player from the wings, uh, who isn't a goalie or the big four, who would you choose for fantasy hockey? Who's the big four? I'm the- assuming Fabry's in there. Maybe Heronic. Whatever Z- one of Zadina and Fabry you don't have in the big four. I think That's, Fabry. Yeah. It's got to be one of them. If not, then Bertuzzi. Because I'll assume that's uh, Larkin, Mantha, Zadina, Heronic. Uh, Cody Stark said, drafted a decent squad last night in my first draft of the year. Wore my Eiserman Campbell All-Stars jersey. Thanks for the suggestion. Matthew Stamkos, Malkin were my first three picks. Anyways, who do you like more? Bernier's uh, Lefebvre or Grice's helmet? Bernier's Trues? I don't know. Yeah, so I'll give Trues you the background here. Trues is a company, here. right? Oh. Lefebvre used to make CCM's pads. Um, CCM essentially contracted them too, and then they broke free. So Lefebvre was their own entity last year, but they weren't allowed to be logoed in the NHL. But I think Bernier was wearing them. True bought or partnered with Lefebvre. So now True is producing Lefebvre's pads. And so I think Bernier was actually the first goalie to have his True pads revealed. Um, and I work with a lot of goalies and it's a real goddamn big deal to them. So I'm going to go with that. Um, Ryan Kern says, okay, boys I have two points. Uh, one, given the fact that the wings will not be playing in Vegas this season, their only team to never lose in Vegas streak will continue. Uh, two, my hot take is the wings will finish sixth in the division ahead of both Nashville and Chicago. We all know Tampa, Dallas, and probably Carolina are going to win a majority of their games against these three teams. So those are essentially a wash. 
Next, we go head-to-head. Neither team has great goaltending. I don't know about you, but I take Bernier and Grice over Subban and Dalia or Rene and Saros. Chicago lost their top two centers for most, if not all, the season, and I don't think Nashville's depth is much to bank on. I think there's a good chance Detroit wins a majority of their games against both uh, Nashville and Chicago, leaves the games against Florida and Columbus, and as long as the Wings win more of them uh, than Chicago or Nashville, they would end up ahead. This is a bizarre season that's going to be- benefit the Wings, not by propelling them up, but by bringing their te- other teams down. Might be some homer bias. Regardless, I think we're going to see a pretty wide gap between the top three and bottom three teams in the DNHL CD, Discover NHL Central Division. <laughs> um, it's perfectly possible. I-, I don't think what you said is crazy. It's a- lukewarm, but not nuts. So one thing I noticed, I got a lot of kickback for putting, not a lot, but like relative to other dumb predictions I've made for having Florida ahead of Nashville. And even talking with my coworkers, they were like, really? I looked it up because I wanted to just see. They had identical records last year. And I would consider Florida a team that's trying to improve. So (laughs) that is not not a hot take at all. So I uh, and and for whatever reason Detroit ha- historically has Nashville's numbers. So you might not be crazy. Antonio Gracias says my wife and I were having a movie night, uh, and as we were deciding what to watch, we realized that we love Ben Stiller movies. It was the funniest thing. We never thought about how much we love his movies until we started listing them, and certain scenes or bits would come flooding back into our memories, and we were cracking up. What sort of comedic actor or movie do you feel is under everyone's radar? Everyone loves, but for some reason, no one talks about. This is the end. Oh, great. That movie movie is a damned masterpiece, and it is not talked about nearly enough. Like, honest to God, that is one of the funniest movies of all time. And it's just, for whatever reason, I have not talked to a single person who doesn't love that movie, but anytime someone brings up their favorite comedy movies, it's never in the conversation for some reason, and it mystifies me. I love the Cornetto trilogy. I think I'm I'm remembering that correctly. It's um, Shaun of the Dead. Um, Shaun of the Dead is a classic. Oh God, I love Shaun of the comedy. Dead. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. I think Hot Fuzz is one of the funniest movies of all time. I actually think it's the best of the three. And uh, the other one, which is an End of Days movie, and I can't remember what it was. Uh, the World's oh, End. Yeah, The World's End. Shaun of the Dead and The World's End are just like I cannot believe how funny those movies are. I love Hot Fuzz. The amount of times something happens and in the background, all you hear me is muttering, deal with it, motherfucker. Like, I just, <laughs> it's a hysterical movie. Um, yeah. I don't know, Evan, if you have any. No, I can't think of any. Uh, uh, I just want to throw out there, Zombieland doesn't get the love it deserves either. I never saw Zombieland 2. Any good? Um, it obviously doesn't live up to the original, but it actually was better than I was expecting. Okay. Jeff Lehman says the Carolina Hurricanes jersey schedule came out. They're sporting the Whalers jersey against our boys in April. Uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, Slava, with our luck, they'll, the Reddings will be wearing the reverse retro that game. Oh, wait, they will. Yeah, they'll probably wear them against each other. Stupid. A lot Slava of Koz- in that game. Yeah. Slava Kozlov's doppelganger says, hey, guys, really enjoy the content. Started listening for the first time after the 2019 draft to find out who's this big lumbering German fellow uh, who everyone told me is a second rounder. After that, I could not stop listening. Uh, Slava Kozlov's doppelganger, thank you for the support, and we really appreciate you becoming a patron. Glad we somehow hooked you onto the show. 
anyway, you can see Slava Kozlov uh, is my favorite player, even though I wasn't old enough to watch him. But that's what happens when your parents emigrate from Russia. Uh, what's your favorite moment from his time here? I know it's vague and you have to think, but thank you. Oh, man. Um, I've got two that come to mind immediately. Um, so I'll just go with those. Uh, OT winner, game five, 95. This was around when I was just starting to really get into hockey. So obviously a goal to send the cup to the uh, the wings to the cup final was huge. And then triple OT against Anaheim in 97. The Anaheim goal is like the one of the quintessential Slava Kozlov moments in my mind. And the the fact that you get the blue streak coming out of the puck's ass on that goal just makes it better. <laughs> I never liked it. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> I hated it with 10-year-old me, who should love gimmicky garbage like that, hated it. <laughs> <laughs> people who call for that to come back is just like, oh, God. Um, yeah, the OT goal has to be it, right? Either. admittedly like that was that's probably a goal that i've seen more that i have more memory just from watching on repeat like looking back than i actually remember watching it at the time because i was young but still uh jake nagy says red wings hockey is back this week seems like it's been forever and even though we're gonna suck uh we'll hopefully suck a little less than last year give us your predictions for each of these cat categories all right so very quickly most improved red wing in 2021 philip zadina i'll go zadina here I don't. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> you tried so most hard. Impro- it was most improved, and I was like, "Oh no, they took mine." Yeah. Um, most improved, Anthony Manta. Ooh. Oh. Uh, Red Wings who get dealt before the trade deadline. Anthony Manta. <laughs> None. Um. Okay. Red Wings that are getting dealt again, given that they have 10 UFAs pending, I can't imagine it being none in a normal year. I would say probably six to seven of them this year. I'm thinking two to four. So I'm going to go Nemeth, Ryan, Glenn Denning. Glenn, he's a good candidate there. Does Blatchell make it through this season? I say yes. I think the Red Wings just regressing to the mean. Yes, he does. I think so, too. Uh, when does Cider make his NHL debut? Uh, 14 days after the SHL season ends. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> uh, and where will we finish in the 2021 overall league standings? We covered that one. Uh, Michael Barry says, so Will Scouch is very much of the Owen Power number one pick uh, mood. Are there any draft prospects that people loved that you just can't understand? Uh, going into this draft? I guess overall. Um, I'm not as high on Owen Power as others. I really, really like him, but I, I don't see him being the Victor Hedman that people seem to think he's going to be. A good, effective NHL defenseman, absolutely. I, I just... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not as big on Power. I'm coming down on Lambos. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. I haven't seen a lot of them this year, so I'm just going to stick with that for now, but I still really like both those prospects, so it's a stupid cop-out answer. Uh, I'll go Atu Ratu, because I I don't even think I have him in my top 20 at this point. At the risk of pandering even more to Wings fans, I didn't really understand the fascination with Kot Kanyemi. I don't think he's a bad player. I just didn't think he was worthy of that pick. 
Oh, we were allowed to go back to revisionist history. Oh, fine. Here I am putting my neck on the line for upcoming. And you're like, ah, no. Yeah, that guy that that's on the team we like, that's not really good. Yeah, no, him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, CNOD says, I'm feeling that early season optimism. Can't wait to watch some hockey. Uh, I'm feeling lucky getting that COVID vaccine tomorrow. Hey, good for you, man. Uh, anyways, to hockey. Sounds like the Swedish uh, bromes uh, likely for the opening lineup. Give us a breakdown of from what to expect from him. I know it's the Red Wings preview today, so it might have already been touched on. Yeah. Uh, let's go Red Wings and welcome 2021. Uh, just your average Teej says you're given total control to change one team name, logo, name and logo in all of sports. And what, what team do you choose? What changes do you make? And why is it the Browns? Because that's got to be the worst in sports. <laughs> uh, Vegas, I change it to the Vegas Flamingos. It's pink, black, and white. I will never change my answer here. I mean, oh boy, how pissed off do I want to make people? No. Uh, you know what? I'll just go with the, I'll go with the layup. I'm going to, I'm going to cop out an answer here. There's been rumors that the Washington football team might stick with the Washington football team. And that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard in the history of sports team names. Give them a goddamn team name. It's not that hard. The Washington football theme. That's the best I can do. I actually hope they keep it because it's ridiculous. I Like the memes are worth it, but we have a full year of them. So the memes will live on forever. Just call them the Washington Sentinels and call Keanu Reeves out of retirement, please. Uh, I think maybe though they might lean Washington Capitals. Wouldn't that be funny if they did Capitals but spelt a different way? Washington Senators. Let's get weird. <laughs> uh, Josh Terrell says, is it possible for this team to compete without Christopher N? I mean, no, but we didn't want to depress everyone, right? So we just didn't bring it up. We're uh, trying to be positive, right? TJ Nasty says, cheers to the new season. I just got done reading stories of the game, Wayne Gretzky, and uh, you can't help but feel proud for being a Red Wings fan. Did you guys know Terrible Ted was inducted into the 66 Hall of Fame but refused to go because females weren't allowed? Wild. Ted stated he wouldn't go since his wife and daughter weren't allowed. A year later, they allowed women at the Hall of Fame ceremony. It's little things like this off the rink that remind you, uh, that remind myself of how great players are from this franchise. Question for you. Who's your favorite old timer? Let's say prior to Stevie Y. Love all the work you guys put in. Cheers to a new year and a new Red Wings. Larkin for the C. I'm going to steal a cop-out answer and say Gordie Howe. I'm pretty sure if you don't say Gordie Howe, you're legally under arrest. The next answer is Mickey Redman. <laughs> uh, a little known goaltender. His name is Ken Holland. No, I'm kidding. Um, Don Mitchell says a buddy who's a Blackhawks fan. And I have a bet for the season. The bet is that Detroit wins their season series against Chicago. How confident do you all think that? Uh, how confident are you in that happening? I need to pay bills and I'm a de degenerate. Thanks a lot, everyone. 51%. I'll give it 55. Or the, what was the uh, bet? Who finished it? Who wins the season series, Detroit or Chicago? Oh, no one. We all lose. <laughs> we all lose. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Buy Bitcoin and have you drank enough water today? Cheers, Don. Yako Rutas has just finished listening to the Finnish Public Broadcasting Services NHL preview show. Yako, I think your B key is. Oh, no. It's not just the B. It's a couple keys. No, um, let's just finish. <laughs> they spent a total 20 seconds or so on Detroit. I feel like that's appropriate for the season. Apparently, better things are around the corner. If I think of Hronik as being a Gardner-type player, would I be completely wrong? He seems like a probable comp comparable for Hronik. 
Offensively, sure, but I I like Hronik's defensive upside more. Wingnut says, what is one trade you would want to see the Wings do this season? Relatively realistic and no trading UFAs for draft picks. Oh, that's pretty much all I want to see them do. Um, what else is realistic? Not that it's it's improbable, but that's re- that really encompasses like 90% of the probable amount of trades that the Red Wings could make. I'm trying to think of just like who some trade targets are around the league and uh, I'm not coming up with a whole hell of a lot. Hi, you didn't say cap dumps weren't allowed, so I'm going to say... That's what I was thinking. Nick Hag and Marc-Andre Fleury for future considerations. Ooh, I like that one. I can deal with that. Uh, AJ Voss's theory, Blasio's only making good coaching decisions, at least for now, because they, during the extended break, Brad and Ryan kidnapped him and planted Evan in a bald cap to impersonate him. <laughs> no, I, again... Evan's jawline is too sharp. You would notice if it was him. It's actually me and Brad swapping in and out as Jeff Blashill. <laughs> uh, actual ter- the actual Terry says, have you figured out who I am? No, but I haven't quite tried. I might be able to. You're Terry. I, Mystery solved. Where's my prize? <laughs> Remember when um, that person punked Ryan? And he yeah. thought it was the real Terry. That was Rowan. And he's going to get mad at you for saying that person. um i won't i won't read his tweet anyway (laughs) (laughs) okay let's move on say fresh cheese bags of fornia company says hey there fellas just had my fantasy draft in the points league i manage and holy hell i'm gonna run away with it i'm cackling right now it's gonna be a firkin slaughter tree buckets of wings wings and pizza for all i've got to figure out how to watch games this year what's the difference between nhl live and nhl tv i literally have no idea are they just the american and canadian versions of the same product Evan, pay attention. Uh, also settle an argument. Who won the Max Domi, Josh Anderson trade? Who's the better player? Is this a question to me or just that I pay attention? I think he just put that in there. Okay. Um, do we have to factor in their contracts? Because if we do, Columbus wins that trade by a lot. Uh, who's the better player? Uh, different roles for different folks. I'll give the edge to if they both play up to their potential Columbus. Because Max Domi's capable of being a top line forward. Um, are your star players injured? Your dingbat ownership is too stubborn to rebuild. Your teams just play and suck. Why not take a break during a shortened pandemic season and stick it in a stay fresh cheese bag? Who knows? By the time the draft rolls around, you might pull out an Owen Power or Kent Johnson. Oh, and by the way, Tony D'Angelo can go for himself. Um, Reddit questions before we wrap up here. Russell 18 says you can permanently prevent the NHL from measuring one secondary stat. Which advanced stat do you pick and why is it plus minus? It's absolutely plus minus and I'm not thinking twice. <sighs> plus minus and I don't want to remove it completely, but I want it to why I want to make it harder for teams or for people to see goals against average. Okay, here's one. Here's a controversial one. Because people view it as a positive stat. And to me, it's a very negative stat. And if I'd rather live in ignorance, let's get rid of counting penalty minutes. You're hurting your Ooh, team. Our it's not fantasy positive. leagues won't like that. Yeah. It always blew my mind that that was a fantasy category. But eh, I guess it, it helps just bring it some players you wouldn't pick into the pool of players you might pick. Mark Borietsky, fourth round pick. Yeah. Tom Wilson's actually an extremely efficient fantasy player. Yes. I mean, no. No. Uh, he's not. <laughs> Shoot. Um, 
do, 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 do. We talked about the Dubois trade. We talked about Chalosky. We talked about the Dubois trade. Uh, we talked about Chalosky. We talked about Juice. Do you see anyone beating out Juice for a spot? Yeah. Yeah. Most. That's from Zaptress, damn it. Uh, Motown Detroit 89 says, so I've heard only a few people are allowed into the stadium for Pistons games since they, since they share the same stadium as the Wings. It's the safety to assume they'll allow people. Are they allowing people in for Pistons games? This is the first time hearing of it, but I don't really follow basketball. So you so. would have to fly into Detroit. <laughs> go to the game quarantine for two weeks and fly back quarantine another two weeks so it takes us about a month of our of our lives to imagine, go see one red wings game imagine that being the 7-1 minnesota game from last year <laughs> i would cry for t- for 14 straight days i don't think there are going to be people in but even if there are i don't think you can expect to see any for the red wings um and last question here says Blake that Blake that as up says, where does Sam Gunny fit on this roster outside of two minutes on the power play every game? His five on five game is floaty. He's not built to be a strong uh, player in Blash Hills. <laughs> 16 minutes of hell system. Uh, I don't see him fitting in on Blash Hills fourth line. So I'm going to say he'll be a third line staple. He'll Blash Hill will do with him what he did with helm and glendenning a lot which is taking a player who might have been able to do this a bit in the past and just slot them up into a position they otherwise shouldn't be in due to injury now, if you want to know what's going to happen to sam gagne go look at what happened to thomas vanek yeah okay red wing season preview guys there's going to be a lot that happens between now and the next time you hear from us we'll be with you after the red wings first game of the season on thursday i'm sure we'll have a captain name by then we'll have the final roster by then we'll have a game to talk about by then which is something we're extremely excited about um again uh thank you all we made it through the world's longest sports off season uh hold on i gotta just pause here for one shortcut because i gotta call someone out on twitter here uh, and I'm shamelessly doing this and you can't stop me. Uh, fellow Bills fan Levi Bootcut said if I shouted him out on the episode, he'd become a patron. So here's your challenge, buddy. I'm Levi to it. Levi, there's two of us in it. Levi Bootcut. You, Levi Bootcut. There you go. Come on, patron. Let's go. I, I literally screen capped it so I wouldn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to all of our amazing listeners, to the people who are just tuning in, to the people who have been with us forever. All of you who support the show on Patreon, uh, name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Brett Bailey, Kyle, R.A., Hi Brad, Zach Spring, Citizen High Five, Cody Stark, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, Tyrone Bigham's brand, Big Bag of Titties. <laughs> Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al-Kassem, Charlie Elkins, Hannah Lee, uh, Eves Bartels on the on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Sam Bankson, Bankson, sorry Sam, I always mess your name up, Josh Yelton, Trevor Pevavar, Evans Bingo Card, Ashley Van Conet, Beer Guy, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matthew Keeler, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Afornia Company, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Quaz, Stan Olson. Thank you all so much. Guys, Red Wings Hockey is back. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.